You want to make mom smile this Mother's Day? You can start Mother's Day with flowers or surprise her with gifts from the brands she loves, delivered the very same day with DoorDash. Wow, that's a great idea. Moms are such a gift to us, and we should treat them the same way, with gifts, especially on Mother's Day. I didn't know DoorDash was doing that. That's exceptional. If your mom has a sweet tooth, or if she's a tech enthusiast, beauty connoisseur, if she's outdoorsy, no matter what she's into, you can make her smile with a fruit or flower bouquet, makeup, tech gear, workout wear, and more, all deliverable through DoorDash. Get all your Mother's Day gifts all in one place and get 50% off your next order up to $15 when you spend $15 or more on your next flower, convenience, grocery, or retail order now with code THEO. That's T-H-E-O. Order using DoorDash today. Terms apply. Imagine having one extra day every week, more time to cook healthy meals, work on that novel, or just get on that speed bike. Now it's all possible with ClickUp, the productivity platform that'll save you one day a week in work, guaranteed. ClickUp is the one tool to house all your tasks, projects, docs, goals, spreadsheets, and more. ClickUp is built for teams from 1 to 1,000. Use code THEO to get 15% off ClickUp's massive, unlimited plan for a year, meaning you can start reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at ClickUp.com and use code THEO. Hurry. This offer ends soon. We've got some new tour dates to announce. We've added a show in Wichita, October 11th. The October 12th show is sold out. We will now be there Tuesday night, October 11th, Wichita, Kansas at the Orpheum Theater. October 13th in Omaha, Nebraska at the Holland Performing Arts Center. And October 14th, Denver, Colorado, Paramount Theater. We have two shows that night. We've added a late show. Get your tickets at theovon.com slash T-O-U-R. We want you to go through that link. That way you're getting um, accurately priced because you go through uh, side links and stuff, you'll get priced out. So uh, we look forward to seeing you at the Return of the Rat Tour. I'll be there, baby. Gang. I want to let you know that we have new Gang Gang merch. It's out there, baby. Get those hitters. We got a couple different colorways. My mom likes them. She wears them when she's out on her route. So I... Hope you check them out. They've got white, and they got pink, and they got baby blue. If you're feeling like a baby, or if you got the blues, or if you don't, and you just damn well like that color. Check those out and more at TheoVonStore.com. Today's guest is a man of science. He has a doctorate in philosophy from UCLA, and he's most known for his work in cryonics. And if you're wondering what cryonics is, well, it's basically that he freezes your body when you die in hopes that they will be able to bring you back to life in the future. It's a fascinating world to learn about. Uh, I think you're going to love it. I did. We had a great conversation about life and death and the afterlife. Today's guest is Dr. Max Moore.
Dr. Max Moore. Do I call you doctor? Is that? Oh, I insist. No, no, no. Call okay. me Max. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you were saying you didn't sleep that good last night. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It was, uh, I get I get problems with congestion and, and um, I've got sciatic nerve damage. So sometimes my foot is numb. I had both of those last night. And uh, I took a sleepy pill, which shouldn't last more than four hours. And that didn't work after an hour and a half. I took another one. And that was probably a mistake. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. That's but, always when you get that double up, you know? Yeah, but it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have kept me asleep that time. So uh, I was going to get up at 7.30, get some work done. And then I get the call. It's 10 o'clock. And I go, oh, my God. So... <laughs> Wish I could have that around about uh, 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes. Well, we're glad you made it in, man. It's interesting that you didn't get much sleep, but that you're kind of like the eternal sleep guy, <laughs> you know? Like, um, I just want to preface for our audience. So people always like talk, you always hear about like living forever. People are always like, I'm going to live, you know, I'd love to, how do we, you know? And people are always like, well, you can get frozen, you know, you, you know, you can get frozen. Like, um, you know, they always say different people that are frozen and like Kirby Puckett's frozen or, um, you know, Walt Disney's frozen. You know, there's that company. Walt Disney get frozen. comes up, yeah. Right. You can hear, you can always hear that, right? People always hear that just like in like, uh, just human interaction, societal chatter, but that's actually what you do. That's yeah. your world. That's what I do. I, we'll have to come back to a couple of things you mentioned about Walt Disney, about freezing. Okay. Uh, some of those stuff. But, but yeah, it, that's it, what, what we do. It's cryonics, right? It's cryonics. Not to be confused with cryogenics. Okay. So but let's start there. Let's start there. Yeah. So what is cryonics? So we can get it. Cryonics is essentially the preservation of people at the point of legal death, not the same as biological death. Uh, and to very simplify the process that we can go into, it's the preservation of people at the point of legal death at extremely cold temperatures, minus 320 Fahrenheit, uh, in the hopes that in the future, and we're talking about decades to a century or so in the future, we may have the technology to fix whatever killed you in today's sense, uh, revive you and bring you back so you can carry on living at a most simple. Wow. Wow. Bo, so yeah, you're the guy that like, yeah, I want to have an IOU from, I feel like, you know? Um, and so what is cryogenics then? What's the other side of that? And there's some water too, if you need it. Yeah, there's a bunch of cryo terms. So cryogenics is simply the engineering of low temperatures. Okay. So lots of people use cryogenics. You know, uh, chip companies use liquid nitrogen to cool at their labs. That's cryogenics. Uh, you know, freezers that go below pretty cold temperatures, colder than the ones we have at home, that's cryogenics. Uh, the editor of the cryogenics magazine wrote an editorial a couple of years ago complaining that people keep calling cryonics cryogenics because they're different things. Ah, I see. Uh, there's also cryobiology, which is simply the study of the effects of very low temperatures on living things. Uh, and then there's, there's cryopreservation. So there's a lot of these cryo words. Okay, a lot of cryo, yeah. <laughs> so cryopreservation, though, this is an important one. Cryopreservation is the application of very cold temperatures to living things. Now, this is important because if you think about it, there are millions of people walking around today who are cryopreserved. They were just embryos at the time. In vitro fertilization, you take an embryo, you cryopreserve it. Right? You keep it at liquid nitrogen temperature. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of those freezer burn babies just running around on the planet. There's well, a lot of... There's no freezer burn, but yeah, they were cryopreserved. Uh, some people have corneas or heart valves or skin that was cryopreserved. So that's something we can cryopreserve and we can bring that back today, unlike human beings as a whole, which is a more complicated issue. Wow. So, so but the world that you facilitate basically or have facilitated is in cryonics right and you guys are the company that when someone i guess registers with your company they want to be they want to take that long shot they're playing the long yeah. game they want to be frozen yeah the basic idea is that someone uh, in almost all cases someone makes these arrangements way in advance years or decades in advance we very rarely take people who call us up at the last minute because 
we don't want to be seen as taking advantage of people for one thing when you're not thinking straight at the end of your life. Uh, plus, it's actually legally risky because maybe the relatives are against the idea. So people generally sign up well in advance and fill out all, all the contracts and make sure we un they understand what they're doing. They have to make the right financial arrangements because obviously this is something that costs money. And if we go through this whole thing and don't get paid, it's going to threaten the organization. Right. Uh, so all of that has to be put in place. And then at the point when your body gives out, I don't want to call die because that's not, not really what's happening. We'll get into that as to are you actually dead or not because I don't think you are. But your body gives out, your heart fails, whatever, something critical goes. Uh, in an ideal situation, we're right there at the bedside, and we can begin within seconds of legal death being pronounced. And do you have to wait for someone to be there? Like, does a coroner have to show up, or like at least a you know kind of smart policeman or something to say, "Hey, yeah, you guys are good to get in there. They're dead." Generally, no. Um, we hate those cases when you have coroners or or medical examiners. Now, in most cases, you just wait for a doctor to declare legal death. Uh, I think in some cases it can be a special kind of nurse, but legal death has to be declared. And it's very important to understand how that's different from other things. Now, but, you know, coroners okay. or medical examiners, that's a disaster when they get involved because you have to wait for them to arrive, which could be an hour or more. And they're um, slow. So, I mean, they're yeah, dawdling. They take their time. Yeah. Uh, and they have, they're like gods. They have complete power. It doesn't matter if you have a religious objection. They can do it anyway, and, and they often will. And that can be a disaster. That can be as bad as taking the brain out of your head, slicing it into pieces, uh, and then shoving it back into your stomach, which is as nasty as it sounds. Oh. It doesn't have to be that bad. Uh, we've had a lot of success oh. in, I mean, basically they will autopsy you. If, if you're driving a car, you have an accident, they're going to autopsy you. Okay. Well, uh, slow if, it down a little bit for me so I can sure. pay. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so you're, okay. So you have, so the corners and those kind of guys can be a hindrance. It can be a holdup. Yeah. So you want to be already involved with the presumed patient that you're going to freeze. You want to be already involved with them. And hopefully there's like a medical, per they're, you know, at the end of their life, with a doctor or they're in hospice they or something. In a hospital or hospice. Yeah. Someone can, someone can pronounce pronounce them yeah. legally dead, and then you guys can be there. Right. And right then, you guys start. What do you do? Like, right? Like, do you give them a couple minutes to kind of like be like with the Lord or whatever? Or do you just get right in there? We get right in there. Wow. I mean, ideally, I mean, we're not always able to get there before legal death is pronounced. We want to get there as quick as we can. It's not essential, but it's certainly better. So ideally, we're at the bedside. The doctor says, I declare you legally dead. Okay. Uh, and, and let's just go into that for a second before we go on to the procedure, because it's really important. When they say, I, I declare you legally dead, what does that mean exactly? Does it mean your whole body's dead? All your cells are dead? No. It can't mean that because people donate their organs all the time, right? So all these things are still alive. Just something critical has failed. And in fact, many times when you're declared legally dead, they could actually resuscitate you. That's why people have DNR, do not resuscitate orders, because they're saying, please don't resuscitate me because right. I'm just going to be miserable and horrible for a couple of hours and then fail again, right? Wow. So it's very important to understand that legal death is not the same as everything suddenly dying. That doesn't happen. I see. So it just has to be legally dead, yeah. and then there's still a lot of life going on inside right. of people. Yeah. So and that that's point, when you guys get in. That's when we get in there. And what we do, uh, I'll try and keep it you know, relatively simple because it's a complex procedure. Basically, okay. we'll take the patient, move them from the hospital bed or the hospice bed into an ice bath. We'll cover them with ice, add some water. We have a device which circulates that icy slurry around them to, to accelerate the cooling process. And what temperature is that that you put them in? Well, it's just, yeah, it's just ice water. So okay. we, we don't want to go below freezing at this point because that would damage the cells. We haven't protected them yet. So um, we're going to put icy water that starts circulating. We'll put on a, a mechanical CPR device to start pumping on their chest and a respirator to take over breathing. So we're actually restarting circulation and respiration. And you might say, well, why are you doing that? This person's dead. Well, 
as we've said, they're not really dead in any interesting sense. And we have to preserve the viability of the tissues. Just like someone donating an organ or a kidney, we want to keep it viable. There you have to keep it viable for several hours while you send it across country. Yeah, when I was young, my sister got a liver transplant when I was younger, when we were kids. And she... Um yeah, I guess they had to move the organ pretty quick yeah. and then get it in her. Yeah, um, they don't last that long. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, well, I don't know why I went on that tangent. But um, okay, so you have the body now. Do, when you're, when you, well, well, we're just there's a bit more to go. But when so, you apply <laughs> that, pro is, do, oh. do they ever come back to life in that no, moment? No, no, and that's what the next thing, next thing I'm gonna get okay, to. Sorry. Right, so <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> don't jump the gun yet. No, uh, no, that's a very important point though because that could happen. You're, you're quite right to think about it. That. that is possible theoretically. Uh, again, because just because they call you legally dead doesn't mean everything has stopped, right? So uh, once we do this, once we do the cooling, we're also applying various medications. We have a series of 10 or 12 medications, the first of which is propofol. Now, I used to have to explain what propofol is, but since Michael Jackson, most people have heard. <laughs> yeah, that's his, yeah, that's that party. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did he, a little he, too much of it. Yeah, he did a lot, I guess. Uh, there's two reasons for that. First of all, let's move this mic over a little bit on you. Sorry. Right. How's that? Just see if like, this way a little. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Okay. Um, there's two reasons. Yeah, yeah Michael Jackson did a lot. He, uh, yeah. he definitely... Yeah, if he was still alive, he would be selling the drug. <laughs> That's right. You know? The reason for the, the propofol is twofold. First of all, it slows down brain metabolism. And that's very important because the faster your metabolism is running, the faster things are going to fall apart. So we want to slow that down. Um, the other thing is it will prevent any return to consciousness, which is possible, as we've said. It's unlikely, but uh, it wouldn't necessarily be a full return to consciousness. Like, hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah. It could just be some kind of sense of, oh, I feel really cold and unpleasant. So we want to prevent that completely. So that's why we give that as the first medication. Wow. So that's the one that's going to cut off any chance of a real somebody popping back to life. Mm-hmm. But at that point, they've been declared legally dead, so they're so societally you're cleared, and then they've already chosen that they want to be frozen, so they've dialed in. So then, at that point, once you get the propofol, and it slows the brain metabolism, yeah, is that the same as like a metabolism you have in your stomach and stuff? Yeah, it's just it's just biological metabolism in the brain. So we're actually slowing everything down, but the most important part for us is the brain because that's the most important thing. And we should talk more about that because some people just want to preserve the brains and we can understand the yeah, logic. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that, that man. Yeah. They, look, these are the rumors. These yeah. are the things people are saying. That's yeah. why I'm glad I'm sitting yeah. here um, with the savant of afterlife, man. Um, okay, cool. So we got the body. You got the propofol in there. We still you, got a bunch of more things to put in there. We're going to put in, again, I won't go into all, all the details of it, but various other drugs to uh, stop the blood from clotting, for instance, to maintain blood pressure. All that like an antifreeze or something not yet no okay that's that, antifreeze that's a, right so anticoagulant anticoagulant okay right, exactly yeah the antifreeze stuff will come later oh dang um so there's a bunch of things we put in based on the research we do to again at this stage people in the hospital go oh and i i get what you're doing this looks very much like donating organs you're trying to keep them as alive as possible while you transport them somewhere else so this part of it makes perfect sense to people in hospitals okay and at this point are you and i you had a video you pulled up zach is that yeah, we actually uh, we found a video on the Alcor website, kind of talking, you know, going through this process. If you does this like help us at all, Max? Yeah, it's probably one of my Max. If you want to maybe is, walk us through this, sure. I think this is one of the videos I did about ten years or so ago. This is some generic pictures of people in hospitals. <laughs> so this yeah, that's John the Elway. You, there you can see. Yeah, you know, you got a respirator. You got artificial. Oh, okay, they're moving the patient into an ice bath here. Okay, this is what you just told us about. Yeah. Okay. So they out of the bed into the ice bath. It's a little different than what we do now, but it's basically the process going to cover the patient in ice. Uh, in, in the ice bath we use today, we actually circulate the icy water, which is more efficient than just packing the patient in ice like that. Yeah, got but, it. Yeah. 
Okay. But the idea is, you know, we really want to start the cooling because uh, there's a, there's a, actually an equation that tells you that if you drop 10 degrees C in temperature, your metabolism will slow down by 50%. So if you can get down three lots of 10 degrees, so you've slowed down to a half, a quarter, an eighth of the speed, which means you've got eight times as much time to transport the patients. Wow. So, they, so they, That's why they cool organs when they're transporting them too. So you want to get them cold quick. Yeah. So okay. here they've arrived at the alcohol facility. The surgeon has been called in. And um, I'm assuming this is a whole body patient. They're going to open up the chest in what's called a median stenotomy, basically just cut open the chest. Okay. Uh, they're going to access the ma major blood vessels of the heart. Mm -hmm. This is still working on the surgery part. So this is all taking place above freezing. It's important to understand. We haven't gone below freezing at this point. So okay. here they're connecting up. These tubes are basically connecting up the patient's vascular system, the blood vessels, to a pump and chiller system. Um, what we're going to do over the next several hours under computer control is to pump out as much of the blood and intracellular fluid as we can. And there you can see basically the perfusion machine that's doing the pumping. It's going to take as much blood and, and other fluids as possible and replace it with a kind of a medical-grade antifreeze. Okay. And do you save the blood and stuff that you pull no, out? No, we don't need to save that. Like, that's something that's easily replaceable. We do that all the time, even today. Um, so we're replacing it with a, well, a, a, the medical... No, no, that's me talking about it. Okay, <laughs> so the medical-grade antifreeze, or cryoprotectant, as we call it. Mm -hmm. um, we actually use the same cryoprotectant that's being used in research right now for human organ cryopreservation. Now, we talked about how people try to donate the organs, and yeah. you have to get them from here to, to whatever state the person's in, hopefully in time, and it's, a lot of them don't make it in time, and so we lose tens of thousands of people every year because they can't get the organs in really? time. So the goal is, and this is very relevant to what we're doing, and there's a lab right here actually in California that does this, uh, not too far away. Um, the goal is to take organs and cryopreserve them just like we do, hold them down at extremely cold temperatures. You can keep them for, you know, for months or years if necessary. Keep them in a hospital bank and then uh, rewarm them. And then as the patient needs them, they're right there. You don't have to worry about transporting them. You could save many tens of thousands of lives a year. And we're on the cusp of doing that right now. The company's actually achieved successful freezing, or actually not freezing, we'll get into that, basically freezing of rabbit kidneys, reimplanting them and having them function well. And reimplanting them in the same rabbit or different yeah, rabbit? Yeah, the same one. Okay. Yeah. But do they have the, can you go to a different body yet, like with that, with that sort of thing? Because what I'm hearing you say is that at hospitals. Well, it could, go on a different, it could go on a different one, yeah. But then you've got issues of you know, possible rejection, the more right. different the creature is. Although that's something I think we'll, we'll, we'll figure out pretty soon. We're getting some good progress there. But what you're saying, or what I'm hearing is that you can take the organs out of someone or some, someone mm -hmm. s and save them, preserve them right. at a hospital. Yep. Hypothetically, this is what we're getting close to. And then if someone was in the hospital and needed an organ, they would be able to take one and put it in them. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so just to emphasize, we already do this, not with organs, because organs are more complex. We already do this with things like corneas, heart valves, skin, um, obviously eggs, sperm, embryos. So people say, oh, you, this cryonics is crazy because you can't unfreeze something. Well, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Of course, just think about it for a minute. Of course we do. We do this all the time. It's just the difficult part is actually the rewarming and the more complex the tissue we're talking about. Once we go from a tissue to an organ, it gets difficult. That's why it's the cutting edge today. And going from an organ to a whole body, that's something we can't do today. Right. But are you really going to say, if we can't do it today, it's impossible? Yeah, like, we went from cigarettes <laughs> to vaping. <laughs> We went from biplanes to landing on the moon. Yeah, we went from the <laughs> unicycle to, uh, I don't know what, nothing. I mean, the unicycle was kind of a piece of shit, but um, I mean, we've done some, yeah, we continue to do some amazing things, you know, so I agree. So, 
Sorry, I have so many ways to go in here. Um, well, should we finish kind of going yes, through the yeah, process? Yeah, we're, we're getting. Yeah, this getting, is better. The less yeah. I talk, the better. Go on. I'm serious. <laughs> no, so I mean, yeah, but it's something you have to kind of really know the details of. So at that point, uh, after several hours of replacing the blood, uh, we finished what's called perfusing the body. We replaced the blood with these fluids. Oh, wait, I did have one question. Yeah. Sorry. So the organs, you took them out of that no, body? No, You didn't. The no. organs are still in. We don't need to do that. No, not, okay. for, not for what we do. That, okay. That's the other kind of research. But Okay, um, you've just gone into the uh, into the main arteries and stuff and started to take the blood out right. and put in the antifreeze. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that, that takes a few hours because if you just throw it in there at high concentration when the patient's still relatively warm, it's pretty toxic to the cells. So we have to start off with a low concentration and gradually ramp that up over time over a few hours. Right. So it's, it's all very well researched to optimize this. Uh, at the end of that process, we can then drop from just above freezing, it's about plus three degrees C, down to about minus three. And then we uh, we put this kind of wrap across the patient, start pumping in liquid nitrogen vapor. Uh, that starts the rapid cooling. And then we're going to move them eventually to another room where we'll um, put them in another container and then plunge the temperature very rapidly to about minus 90 degrees C. Dang, which is, boy. Which, you know, in your, your freezer box at home is at minus 20, so it's minus 90. That's just to start with. And then we slow down a bit to let the temperature kind of equal out throughout the body. And eventually we're going to go down uh, a little more slowly all the way down to uh, minus 196 Celsius Damn, or brother, minus, three, 320, minus 320 Fahrenheit. That's the, that's the that's devil's produce cold. drawer at that point, man. You're really... Dude, well, you're deep then. You're very deep. You're so cold that basically you could wait for a thousand years and you'd be just as fresh as when you started. Once you go below a certain temperature, basically nothing is happening. There's no metabolism whatsoever. Really? So at that point, you're not going to... No, so at that point, you're not going to de decay at all? Not at all. At all? No. Wow. Not in the least. So you are really stuck. I mean, you are... You're... Is, is any part of you still living at that point? No, you're not living, but this is actually a really important discussion. We could get really philosophical about this. Um, you're not living because life implies metabolism and activity, and obviously we've stopped all of that happening. But you're not dead either because dead implies that you've gone beyond repair, right? You've gone forever. And that's that's not the case either. Just as we've seen with the case with skin cells and corneas and other things that we can they, – like, they're not alive because they're not functioning, but we can bring them back. Yeah, just so, like, Tom, like Tom Brady. Almost, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so death is not a clear concept, actually. Um, at least most people don't have a clear idea of what death really is. So we've talked about clinical death. That's just when a doctor says, I declare you dead. Well, sorry, not that's legal death. Legal death is where a doctor says, I'm going to call you dead. Maybe I can bring you back, you know, but I'm going to call you dead. I'm, I'm giving up at this point because there's nothing more I can do. Clinical death is different, right? Clinical death is just when you stop breathing and your heart stops beating. That's it. Those are the two yeah. requirements. Yeah. But in the old days, that was death to people. Like Before about 1960, you know, if we were talking and you were so excited about what I was saying that you just went, oh, 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 and you had a heart attack and you stopped breathing, we check your pulse. And just like in the old Star Trek series, like, he's dead, Jim. That was it. Yeah. We gave up. Yeah. We don't do that today. Someone would jump on you, do start doing you know, CPR and defibrillation. We'd be shocking you and probably bring you back. So what we said was dead before about 1960, we don't consider dead today. We consider in need of help. So, be, so dead keeps evolving. Yeah. Well, what we call dead keeps what evolving. we call dead keeps evolving and keeps changing. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. And today, sometimes you know, we had the idea of brain death to take it further. So, in our view, when someone declares you legally dead, um, you're, you're also clinically dead at that point. You're not really dead in some fun. If we, if by death we mean irreversible, you've gone forever. 
You're not dead because almost everything in your body is still alive. Now, you will be dead if we don't intervene and stop things decaying. You know, if you do what most people do, which to me is completely crazy, throw you in the ground to be eaten by worms and bacteria or shove you into a gigantic oven to be incinerated, which is just crazy stuff to me. <laughs> yeah, at that point, yeah, you can't really do that. You You're can't not be reheated. Back. That's right. Now, what about this? So uh, with clinical death and legal death, is that where they're then able to take organs and donate them? Yes. Yeah. So so that's interesting. So after clinical and legal death, you still have organs that go and can live in someone else. Exactly. Man, that's a pretty good insight of what could be possible one day. Then. And, and that's an interesting point about that. There's also something called uh, donation after cardiac death, which means that actually your brain, in principle, your brain could still be functional when they take your organs out. Wow. <laughs> you got to be really, really generous to do that. <laughs> That's something they could in principle do. So this idea of dead is actually a lot more complex than people realize. They often talk about crying and say, well, look, dead is dead, so it's impossible. Well, what kind of death are we talking about here? There's, yeah. there's different kinds. It'd be crazy if you're like, at a, you're, at a, you're like at a street corner, some guy gets hit by a bus, and people are like, he's dead, and you're like, is he? No, you, you better, that's why we call the emergency medical services, because you know, just because they're not breathing doesn't mean that they're dead yet. Wow, man. If you hate your phone bill... If you look at that thing and say, dang, I hate you, then that's probably because you're getting ripped off by fine print contracts from big wireless providers. So I want to tell you about Mint Mobile. They offer premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. You might be wondering, what's the catch, buddy? Well, there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. That's right. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, unlimited, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with Mint Mobile as well. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, Go to mintmobile.com slash Theo. That's M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash T-H-E-O. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Theo. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How well do you take care of your car? Maybe you got that Dodge Neon like mom used to have, or maybe you got that Ford Taurus. And you're out there, you're polishing and waxing and washing it. Sometimes you might even wash it at night because you're lonely. Well, your brain is no different. It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be waxed and washed and, and examined to make sure that it's running smooth. That's where BetterHelp Online Therapy can be supportive. BetterHelp. It's online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera even. If you're embarrassed of something or you don't feel like you can yet, better help. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. I've used it and it works. Our listeners get 10% off their first month. At BetterHelp.com slash Theo. That's BetterHelp.com slash Theo. Yeah, it's interesting to to, to start to think about, yeah, what is the idea of death and when is it? But we already have three, two, we have legal death, clinical death, 
And then we have the point where you've incinerated or gotten, you know, right. damaged the whatever's left so badly that's that it's real irre- irreversible. Yeah. And to you, that's real. Yeah. Death. And we have a special term for that, which will sound very, very highfalutin probably because it's <laughs> some of us are philosophers like myself. So we call this information theoretic death. Now, it's not as, as complicated as it sounds. Basically, the idea is, well, obviously, let, let's say you're in a plane crash and you were totally incinerated on the crash. Are you dead? Well, yes, you're dead because there's no conceivable technology that could ever fix you. So even if you gathered your ashes and frozen, nobody could ever fix that. Yeah. Um, but if, uh, to take an example, let's say that, um, let's say, Theo, that you're doing some kind of nefarious thing. You were thinking about robbing a bank or doing something like that. And you you were kind of sitting in your chair here, kind of writing it down on a piece of paper. Okay, first of all, I'm going to, I've got to buy the guns here. And then I've got to find out how to get through the the, the locks. And then I've got to, you have all your plans yeah, detailed yeah. on a piece of paper, Planning right? Planning masks, maybe. You look, you've done this Slipper. before. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Quiet shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've got your plan on this piece of paper and you think, oh God, that was so stupid. Why did I write that down? Someone's going to find this. You know, the FBI has been maybe sniffing around. And so you take the paper, you shred it in one direction you shred it in the other, you throw it in the trash, you think, okay, I'm safe now. No, you're not. Because if the NSA has been watching you, because they know what kind of guy you are, yeah. come on, they probably are. Oh, yeah, they definitely, <laughs> I, I've gotten a couple of, no, I haven't gotten actual mail, but I've gotten emails that say i got to tone it down. So they got their eye on you. So they're going to go into your trash, they're going to fish that out, they're going to lay it out, they're going to scan it, run it through a very, computer, a very clever computer algorithm, and they're going to reconstruct what you thought you'd destroyed. And if you think about the brain, it's like a three-dimensional version of that piece of paper. You could do a lot of damage, actually, to the brain. You can damage the cell membranes, poke holes in them, uh, change some of the chemistry. It doesn't mean that you couldn't ever repair it. So long as there's enough information left in the brain that some advanced technology, like an advanced molecular nanotechnology, maybe generate, run by artificial intelligences, whatever, if it can put those pieces back where they were, then you could actually bring back the function of the human being. So that's why we call it information theoretic death. If you've lost too much information, there's too much damage, it's really obliterated, then you're dead. But beyond that point, you're not because more advanced technology could in principle repair you. Now, we don't know for sure that's going to happen, but it seems like a pretty good bet we're going to get better and better at repairing people. That's a pretty reasonable assumption, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, well, technology just keeps Mm. advancing, you know? Even if you wanted it not to, at this point, we could... it's, yeah. it's impossible to, for us to even stop. There was an article the other, there was something the other day about some pigs I saw Yeah. on, uh, I think it was even on TMZ. Here it is right here. Dead pigs come back to life. Mm-hmm. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah. This is very interesting research. It was neat. Heartbeat uh, returns during experiment. I'm just going to, a group of pigs was pronounced dead for hours as part of a study. Um, and, and then incredibly, uh, I can't go back. Uh, and then incredibly, scientists got it beating again. Um, staggering from researchers from Yale began pumping synthetic fluids through the bodies of dead pigs, getting their hearts to faintly beat. Uh, this is after about five hours of what would be considered death. In wow. Human beings normally. So was this like, do you know this has been going on for a long time or was this news to you? Uh, th- this was, well, this was news in a sense, but it wasn't a surprise. The same researchers actually did something in 2019 that was fairly similar. They kind of extrapolated it a little bit further. And back in the 80s, um, we don't do any animal research anymore because it makes you a big target for various people. But back in the 80s, we, uh, or, or an associated lab, did some work with dogs where they would basically take out all the blood from the dogs, replace it with a saline-based solution, um, and then chill them down to just that four degrees C above freezing, hold them there for several hours, like four, four hours, replace the blood, rewarm them, and they came back and they were perfectly fine. They were neurologically intact. They recognized people. Everything was fine. So it's kind of a little bit similar to what they're doing with the pigs. So they took the blood out of the dogs. Yeah. 
put it back and replace it with a saline solution for a few hours. And, and supported the circulation at, you know, externally because the heart wasn't beating on its own. Okay, right. So then yeah. kept it alive yeah. with uh, machines mm -hmm. and then brought it back to life. And, yeah. it, so and the dog knew what was going on, knew where its exactly, owner was. Yeah. So wow. much like they're doing with the pig. So that's actually very advanced research because we had, um, there's, a, there's a guy called Dr. Peter Ree, who actually used to be Clinton's personal physician. And he's a real expert in this area. And he realized that using low temperature surgery uh, is pretty good stuff because there are some people you can't operate on. Like if you have a gunshot wound, you're going to tend to bleed out really fast and trying to get you to a hospital and operate on you in time, usually hopeless. So he thought, well, what if we could cool people down a lot more than we do today? Because we do sometimes cool people for like brain surgery. We'll take them down a few degrees. He said, what if we could take people down all the way to 10 degrees C above freezing, which is pretty chilly. Uh, and the idea is that, again, as you drop in temperature, your metabolism slows down. And that would buy you about four times as much time. So if you had only ten minutes to operate, you've got forty minutes, and so on. And oh, I, I, I see. So at a certain, so the 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 colder you have, the more preserved you are, yeah, the and stopping your body from metabolizing, exactly, and slowing that, then the, that equates to multiplying the amount of time that you have, exactly. uh, to operate on the body as is. Yeah. So oh, now I don't know if he's actually Dang. started the, the study yet. It was supposed to be at, in at Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, maybe because they had a lot of gunshot wound victims there or something. But I think they've moved <laughs> it. And I don't know if they've started doing it yet, but they've done it in animals and it, it does work. Um, and he actually came to visit us in, in Arizona at Alcor. And he said, uh, well, what you're doing is more radical than what I'm doing, but it's basically the same principle. And then, you know, it made sense. And so, so now you guys have the body. You have, so that's your clientele. You freeze them down. You get the fluids into them. Do you keep the organs in them? I guess it depends on if it's a full body. Yeah. Well, we, no, we keep everything in there. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a basic choice. About half our members choose to preserve the entire body. And the other half, including myself, just preserve the brain. Now, as a practical matter, we leave the brain inside the skull because it's actually kind of hard to remove it without damaging it. And it's just a useful protective box anyway, so no point in removing it. But the thing you want is the brain because everything else you can have to regenerate. And you might think, well, why do you want to do that? Isn't it like Futurama where you'll be zipping around on a flying saucer to keep your head going or something? Well, no. The idea is that, um, that given the kind of technology we'll need to repair, you know, uh, 70, 85 billion damaged neurons plus all the trillions of cells in the body, that kind of technology should be able to regenerate a body pretty easily. Um, that's actually relatively easy. Well, I say easy. <laughs> it's a nearer term problem than being able to repair a brain. We can already start to grow at least proto-organs in the lab, basic organs we can grow today out of stem right. cells. And the, in the liver lab. regrows. The liver regrows part of itself, right? Well, the liver is the only thing that humans are really bad at this. We're just terrible compared to you know, animals. You can chop their arms off. Some of them, they regrow their arm or worms can grow half their bodies. Possums, we're yeah. Just, humans are lousy at this. When we're embryos, we can actually regenerate parts. But basically, we can generate part of our liver, unless we drink too much maybe, but we can do a little bit of liver regeneration. Maybe get the tip of our finger back, and that's it. We're just terrible. But that's because we have the wrong genetic sequence, right? We can get in there. We can alter that. We should better program the body to regrow parts. And we're starting to grow things in the lab today. So to me, regrowing a body is actually going to be a lot sooner than repairing a brain. I think we'll do that in the next you know, 20 years or so, whereas the brain's going to take longer. So my logic is, why should I take my whole body, which hopefully if I, you know, I won't die early, is going to be in really lousy condition by the time that happens. Uh, it's just going to be easy to grow a new one, probably. Right, and you'd want a new one, too. Nobody's, if somebody, oh, yeah. look, man, if you bring me back, honestly, Dr. Max, if you bring me back and I'm in my same old body and no, I no. can't, you know, go on dates or, you know, <laughs> do hoops or anything like that, bro, I'm no, not going to want to be there. Exactly. No, yeah, the idea is, and it's a good thing you bring that up because it always kind of amazes me that people think that's what you do. Of course, you're not going to bring back someone as a 95-year-old. What's the point? The idea is you're going to reju rejuvenate the body. With that kind of technology, you're going to rejuvenate the body, reverse the aging process, and fix it so you don't age further. And yeah, you'll be in your best body that you ever had. And 
uh, I would I would assume that there will be options either before they bring you back fully or right afterwards. They're going to say, well, okay, we'll bring you back in your best body you ever had, but shall we also fix your short-sightedness? Do you want to fix that back problem you've had for your, yeah. for your entire life? Or L5S1. Yeah, yeah. But do they um, – but so – but the, now does this – does the size of a brain grow over time? So could you, would you have to bring the body back? Say, say you, okay, sorry. No, it There's a lot actually. of ways to go. There's a lot <laughs> of ways to go here. So, okay. So first of all, what are the options that you guys offer for freezing? Just so I know for the cryonics process at Alcor, that's your company, Alcor. And what, what, what are the, the options? Like what's the packages? I should say, by the way, when you say a company, it's actually a, a non-profit organization. We're a 501c Texas non-profit organization. Okay. And that's important to us because uh, as a profit-making company, I've got nothing against that, but it, it tends to not survive very long if you look at them historically, whereas non-profits, educational organizations, religious organizations, they can survive for centuries. That's why we're set up that way. So we, wow. nobody actually makes profits from this. We, you know, we have salary stuff, but nobody, nobody makes profits. It's um, fa- Well, it, it, I love that, man. It's fascinating. Because, yeah, I mean, you guys are basically like um, – like death, like Magellans. I mean, you guys are out there just like, you know. That's a, that's a good analogy. I think that's a good analogy because when people say, well, what kind of people do this? Um, well, there are a number of factors, but one of them that's really critical is you have to be an explorer. I mean, if you think about, uh, I've talked to so many people about this and uh, those who say, well, yeah, I can I can see how this could work. This is not implausible. And then they go, but oh my God, this might work. That's That's scary. Because they think about coming back into a future baby 100 years from now. Everything's radically different. Their skills are outdated. They don't, don't know anybody. And it horrifies them. Yeah. Which I think is one big reason why there aren't more people doing this. Uh, it tends to appeal to people who have you know, a Magellan-type personality, an explorer personality, who look on that and say, well, yeah, it's going to take some getting used to. Although the organization, part of its mission is to help you get you know, rehabilitated. Yeah, you got to be brave because you're going to go see your buddy and he's going to be like 70 years older. Or you're gonna go, or he's gonna be gone. All your like a lot of your friends might be gone. Or say if you died at like 21 and you got froze and you come back 40 years later, you're gonna go over to your friend's house. He's gonna be 60. You know, it's like everything's gonna be actually probably not that because the, again the technology we're talking about to re, to reverse all the damage that's been done by that point that you've legally died plus the extra damage done in the process, we will fix the aging problem before we bring people back. So at least your friend, yeah, they may be 80 years older, but they won't look 80 years older. Ah. But yeah, there'll still be that huge gap in experience, obviously. Now, it's better if you can persuade your friends and family to come with you. Which, yeah. You know, I know quite a few people. I know a number of people who are already cryopreserved and I have my wife has signed up for this and a lot of my friends are. So I don't have that problem so much. I'll know some people, but not everybody will. But you know, I'd still rather come back not knowing anybody. I mean, I I came you from think? I came from England to Los Angeles back in the eighties, and I didn't really know anybody, and and it was a weird place here. You had this kind of bright object shining from the sky instead of water falling on me, which is what, what's up with that? <laughs> people driving yeah, on the wrong came, si- yeah. people driving on the wrong side of the road and stuff. But I we came over survive. here, yeah, in the seventeen hundreds, and we didn't know anybody. Yeah, you exactly. know, um, exactly. It's like a journey through time instead of a journey through space. Dude, that's so, there's so many things going on here, man. So, but also you're going to bring your wife, bro. That's a risky move, huh? <laughs> Why is that risky? I mean, I think it's great. I think it's very honorable and it's very, it's, it's very sweet and kind. But what if like, dude, you know, it just see, you got to really be dialed in for a lot, you know. Because you only said what for like what is the vow? It's like oh, uh, we didn't do that one though. No. Oh, it's till death do us part. You should have said till legal death did, do us part. Yeah, we didn't do that one because we have a problem with the idea of death. So uh, no, it does bring wow. up some interesting questions because yeah, I mean, 
Okay, you've got 50 years together, 70 years together. Okay, but what about 1,000 years together? <laughs> so, But, you know, we'll worry about that when it, when it yeah. comes to it. Yeah, that's a good call. So, yeah, you have to think of these people. Yeah, because you, I think in the simplistic mind, which I happen to possess, thankfully for the both of us, um, it's you just think like the the the, an, the animal the 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 Neanderthal thoughts are like I'm gonna live forever, uh, I'm gonna come back, but you don't think about after that. Like, do you like what do you guys do? Do you guys just give them like a bus ticket like out of prison or whatever? Or do you guys like like what where where do you put them at? Is there like a reentry program? Uh, yes or no? I mean, no, in the sense that this is still so far off that we can't really. We can't really figure out. We don't even know who will make the decision to bring you back. I mean, will it be our organization? Will it be some kind of, you know, uh, ethic, ethics panel of universities or a government thing? We don't wow. we, we don't even know that, right? So we can't really plan in too much detail. But yes, we do think about it. And we it's part of our mission statement. You go to the website, look at our mission statement. Part of that is not just to wake you up, and kind of shove you out the door and say, good luck, man. Yeah. No, we're going to actually rehabilitate you. Yeah, just, here's a hand warmer. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, today, think about it today. There are people who've been in comas for years, even decades. Uh, you've seen the movie Awakenings with Robert De Niro? Robert I just Williams? watched that movie a couple oh. of months ago. Can we bring some of that up? That's fascinating. Yeah, based on, on, on the book by Oliver Sacks. So these are people who were basically uh, in, a, in a special kind of coma. Basically, their dopamine levels in the brain were really low. They were like frozen statues, not really aware of the passage of time. Some of them like that for more than the, more than a decade or two. And when they were woken up, uh, of course, for some of them, it was pretty horrifying because they'd suddenly aged overnight. Uh, yeah. So a little like that. So in our case, it would be the opposite of that. Uh, of course, you look in the mirror and go, damn, I look good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because people would be excited because you would be bringing them back in. So what you're saying is you're going to be bringing people back into their best self. Exactly. Because so of technology. Help. Right, that that'll point. help. Because you'll come back not feeling crappy like when you when you uh, cease to function. You'll come back feeling the best self. Plus, we are there to help you out. We're going to rehabilitate whatever that will mean at the time. It might mean, um, you know, we're going to put you in some virtual reality environment to sort of train how the world works before you step out in front of that wow. flying car or whatever. You know, uh, we don't really know what things will be like 100 years from now. Nobody does. Anybody who says they do is lying because... You just can't forecast that far ahead. Yeah, that's future people. Terms. If somebody says they're from the future, bro, they're probably lying. Um, wow, man. So yeah, you really, your work kind of like, like you know what you do, but it's also what you do is constantly like going to be evolving. So it's kind of interesting. It's like your job is um, like kind of uh your job is kind of trans it's like it's malleable really because you, we don't know what the future holds it's it's diff yeah, it's, it's malleable because the, we don't know what the future is going to be exactly and we get a better idea over time um i mean uh, it's also changes because of the conditions under which we can do our job so for instance it's only in the last few years in this country that we could use the death with dignity laws which are actually very useful for us um so yeah, before that, basically, we had to wait till a doctor declared he legally dead. That could have happened, you know, out of the blue, with no, no warning. But today, and we've done this twice so far. A, a member can call us up and say, "Look, you know, my doctor said I've got no more than six months to go. I'm in a state that allows the death with dignity laws. I want to go two weeks from Wednesday." No. So we can say, "Okay, great. We're going to have a team there." So we don't have to worry about getting someone there. You know, get an emergency call. We've got to get someone there. The person's already stopped breathing. No, we can have a team right there. They can take the medication. They have to self-administer in our, our law. Uh, we wait. As soon as they're declared legally dead, we begin with no delay whatsoever. That's that's pretty much Ooh, ideal. Ooh, that's fresh. And that's not every state right now. That's only certain. California can do that in a few other states. Can Arizona do that? 
Not yet, no. They should be soon. Arizona, Arizona's, so. they're pretty wild west out there in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're kind, of in, we're kind of advanced in some ways and all backward in others. I yeah, think. it's a good call. I used to live in Tucson over there, and a lot of people don't have shirt sleeves on a lot of times. And uh, We have, you know, we have marijuana is legal there. It's not in some other places, but uh, we're a little conservative on some of the social stuff like death with dignity. But I think it's, it's mixed there, so I think it will get there. But we do have teams here in California, so that's not really a big problem. So, so you have the f- – okay, so – People get brought. People sign up in advance. Yeah, almost always. And do you meet with them usually? At least probably have zooms with them, or people are just like, "I want the program. This is it." Uh, quite often they'll come for a visit, and we do encourage that because I mean you don't have to because there's so many videos you can go online and see what we do. But we do encourage people to come and visit. Uh, you know, we give tours of the place. We're very open, so we want people to see what the reality of it is. Oh, but, yeah. But they don't have to come visit if they've, you know, read a lot about it. I went to that Coors Brewing over there in Golden, Colorado. Mm-hmm. You ever been to that? No, but they have some similar containers to ours. They have the very big containers, like the, the doers, basically the vacuum containers, I think, for brewing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. If they're full body, you store them up and down, or can you do a lay down option? No, we don't do a lay down. That'd be kind of inefficient for space. That's an interesting uh, question because um, a cryonic, the first cryonics organization in China started a few years ago, and they, we were talking to them, and that's what they wanted to do because it's kind of a cultural thing. You, they want to lay that. You can't stack them, though, because that applies superiority if you're on top, I guess. So they want to do that, but it just it just doesn't work very well. It, it doesn't work very well in the vessels. It's expensive. Nothing so. from China works very well, I don't think. <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, so, no, they're actually uh, – we actually store patients upside down, the whole body patients. Wow. So I don't think we really need to do that. Um, it, basically, the idea was that the liquid nitrogen will boil off over time. It will gradually get lower and lower over a period of weeks to months. And if you have a little bit at the bottom, obviously that's where you want the brain to be at the bottom, the last thing to get warmed up, although you know, that shouldn't ever happen. So they're upside down? Yeah. But wow. it, it's not really necessary today because we now store patients in, inside these steel, uh, steel containers. You can see there's an aluminum pod that contains the patient, mm-hmm. and that conducts temperature really well. So even if you just got a little bit of liquid nitrogen at the bottom, it's still going to be super cold at the top. But it's just kind of an extra, uh, you know, extra layer. Shoot, what do they call it? Shoot, shoot. Uh, Laces and <laughs> what is the, the phrase basically? Boot. Shooting fish in a barrel? <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, you know, the backup option, the laces and the strider. I forget what. The, you know what I mean? We we just do that as an extra uh, protection. An extra measure. layer. Yeah. Um. And who's this chick? She's no, cute. It's, it's, huh? Sorry, I meant suspenders and belt. Belt and suspenders. That's oh I mean. yeah, if you go belt and suspenders, <laughs> that's insane. That, that yeah. is that's a Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. Is it really? And many other shows. Dang, yeah. I gotta we quit going to coffee bean then. We had a really good time um, actually talking. That was a good. That was a good tour. I bet, bud. She's enthusiastic about it. She seems and she seemed like a nice lady. Yeah. But I'll say this, so. Dude, this is, first of all, this is crazy, man. First of all, thank you so much for coming in, man. This is really fascinating because I don't want to die, to be honest with you, you know? Death is boring. I mean, who wants to die? It's just boring. Yeah, well, part of it starts to feel good because you want to get some rest, I think, but there's a big other part of it that's like, but, you know, I don't want that much rest. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm thinking is, like, I would love to be able to come back one day, you know, or have the option. And so... What kind of? Th- that's the thing, though. It's an option, right? You don't. Right. You don't have to live forever. We're not, and that's that's something because I think you mentioned that early on. We're not offering eternity. We're not offering immortality because we can't do that. You can still get hit by a bus or get shot by somebody or an asteroid can land on your head. Yeah. This is not about immortality. <laughs> We're not offering that. We're offering the chance to come back and live for who knows how long, hundreds, thousands of years. But you know, after five hundred years, you go. You know, I think I've done everything I want to do. You can always check out. So it, it's an option. That's the that's the, really the point of it. Do, would you ever worry that you would bring people back 
and wherever they've gone when they've left here or like hypothetically left here was so awesome they're gonna be like oh fuck dude you brought me back here back here to hardy's or whatever uh i'm not really worried about that um I have to distinguish my own personal opinion from that of the organization, right? The organization doesn't take any any view on whether there's a soul or not. Uh, I personally don't believe in a soul. I don't. I think that we're just a, a physical being, and if you destroy that, you're gone. And uh, so long as we can restore it, you can come back. But uh, if there is a soul, and you know, I've taught philosophy, religion. I taught at Mount St. Mary's, not too far from where I stay. Oh, actually. really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, um, man. So yeah, I've taught philosophy, religion. And I, I know, I understand that probably better than many of the religious people do. I found. I do um, know that you're a philosopher and a doctor. Yeah. I do know those things. Yeah. So I don't want you to think I don't know anything. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's a problem, uh, and for several reasons. Let's look at. Uh, we mentioned. Uh, in, in, uh, in vitro fertilization, what used to be called test tube babies. Right. Uh, they're frozen. Em- they, My ex-girlfriend's eggs are frozen. Yeah, frozen embryos who could be there for, for years, sometimes more than a decade. Well, if you believe that the uh, soul enters at the point of conception, they have souls. And yet, do you ever, uh, uh, you know, of the millions of people walking around today who used to be in that state, do they ever say, yeah, it was really boring, you know, floating around, getting really bored? No, they never report that. So it doesn't seem to be a problem for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we also have people who have been legally dead for up to an hour or so. And if you believe the soul leaves when the body stops functioning, uh, again, they don't really report you know being in, in some kind of boring condition. So I don't think it's a problem. Also, because if there is a soul, it's obviously not a physical thing, because otherwise we could detect it with science. So it must be outside space and time. So I think whether it's a day or you know a minute or a day or a hundred years shouldn't make any difference. Right. That's true. If it's gone for an hour, it's gone for if if it's a, that attached to the actual physical being, then it should be able to come back. Yeah. So really, you guys, if People are able to be thawed out, hypothetically, back into existence. We might find, we would learn a lot about if there are souls or not. Maybe, yeah. I mean, my view is it's completely compatible with just about any religion. There might be one or two exceptions that, uh, is it the Jehovah's Witnesses or one of the groups that doesn't do blood transfusions? That could be a problem for us <laughs> removing the, the blood. But apart from that, I mean, if you're a Christian, uh, it would seem to me that you'd want to do this because, first of all, why are you in such a, a rush to get to your eternal reward? Don't you want to do some more good works or save some souls, that kind of thing? Yeah. It's a bit selfish to take off at the, the yeah, just, earliest opportunity, right? Yeah, buzz <laughs> out. Yeah, you have one stroke and then you leave. That's kind of soft. Yeah. And, and uh, Judaism, too, I think is, is actually very pro, uh, pro-living pro and uh, you know life is basically good. You stick around and do good works. So, oh, yeah. My Jewish buddies, will, they'll mill around forever, dude, if there's some opportunity, <laughs> yeah. you know? Jews love to do stuff and create, you know? be part of things yeah. for sure so, so it's really you're not going to lose them no it, it's i mean the way i think of it is cryonics is really an extension of emergency medicine it's not some kind of strange thing about dead people because they're not really dead it's just an extension of emergency medicine it's a doctor saying i just can't do anything more for this person right now and we're saying well let's not just destroy them by putting them in an oven or the ground give them to us let us treat them stop them getting worse and give the future a chance of uh, giving them more life that seems like the, the reasonable conservative thing to do yeah it seems like yeah, I mean, I consider myself a Christian, and I believe that I'm I'm down for it. You know, um, yeah. Do you feel like it's like? Do you feel like it's like divinely intend? Like there's divine intention behind this, or do you think that it would be like divinely frowned upon? I guess, and you may have already just answered that. Well, I don't. I don't think either. If there is a God out there, uh, I don't see God objecting to us uh, creating the internet, for instance, or. Uh, electric vehicles or even old-fashioned vehicles. So I think if there is a God, then for the most part, uh, that God lets us 
use our own intelligence, our, our God-given intelligence, if you like. Yeah. Um, uh, and what we do with it is up to us, and what we do, we, hopefully, we'll do good things with it. But I don't think there is a list of things that we we mustn't do. It's more a matter of you know, let's do the right thing, let's do good things. And to yeah. me, this is a good thing. This is about saving lives, about giving people more life and, and able to do more good things. Yeah, and maybe God would be impressed too. God would be like, "Dang, you guys figured this out." Yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool you, too. You got off the planet in 1969, landed someone on the moon. Now you're bringing people back to. That's pretty cool. You guys are doing good, good stuff, going, guys. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to tell you that your body has a wiener on it. And sometimes it isn't working as well as you'd like because of different things. Well, Blue Chew can help. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form, chewable, chewable, and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets combat all forms of ED. That's right, erectile dysfunction. And they can help men gain extra confidence for when it's time to perform, when it's that showdown for the wiener. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. And here's a special deal for you who want to chew your way to a well wiener, try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code T-H-E-O at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code Theo, to receive your first month for free. And are you Austrian? <laughs> no. Austrian, no. No, I'm not Austrian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be uh, Schwarzenegger, huh? No, I'm from England, actually. I've been... Uh... I'm going to pull this back in. Okay. I'm from England. Um, I've been in the States since 1987. Oh, I couldn't tell if you were from England if you had a cold. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of a little both. So uh, I came over actually because of cryonics in a way. Uh, I actually first came over in 1986 to, to California because uh, I joined Alcoa. I was 22 years old at the time. Wow. And um, I, I came over here because I'd sent a little donation like out of my puny student salary. I sent a tiny donation because Alcoa was a tiny little organization at the time. And how'd you hear about it? Um, I heard about it. Oh, well, there's a long and a short version of that. Uh, I heard about it initially as a fictional thing in a kid's TV show, which kind of still amazes me because this was a, like a young kid's TV show with some pretty interesting advanced ideas. In the very first one, it's called Time Slip. You can actually get it on DVD now, which I did about 10 years ago. Uh, in the first episode, they go through this kind of hole in space and time, uh, some years into the future, to this Arctic research station. And the episode that the, the captain of the station had been, you know, seriously injured. And so he was cryopreserved. Wow. And they looked at his frosty face. I went, whoa. It also had artificial intelligence. It had brain augmentation. This was a kid's show. It was like amazing. Uh, so that, that was a fictional thing. And then later on, I read a book by Robert Anton Wilson. I don't know if you know this guy from the, the 70s. He used to be editor for Penthouse. He wrote the Illuminatus trilogy. It was a big counterculture uh, mm -hmm. book back then. Uh, he, in his nonfiction book, Cosmic Trigger, he wrote about uh, his daughter, Luna, who'd been murdered at the age of 14 in San Francisco. Oh. And he had a you know, terrible one. He had a brain cryopreserved. I went, oh, so this is a real thing. So that's <laughs> when you learned out that, that, that the thing you had seen in like a uh, fictional aspect as yeah. a child was now real. That was the first time I saw it was real. And so you sent him in some money. You're like, I'm so, this well, is my no, church. Before that, I, was, uh, I didn't know anybody you know, actually doing it though. So 
uh, the next thing that happened, I was, you know, I was kind of a strange person in the sense because I was interested in all these weird futuristic ideas and nobody else around me was. And then I saw an ad for a group meeting at Imperial College in London to talk about space colonization and life extension and all the kind of cool things I was into. So I went down there and at that time they had the magazine we still produce today, Cryonics magazine, and they you know, shoved it at me and said, what do you think of this? I said, yeah, that makes sense to me. So that's how I first heard of it. And then I got involved wow. with the organization. I joined up. So I came over to the States in 86 for six weeks. Uh, I signed up. I did my training. I actually went to UCLA with Jerry Leaf, who was a, a surgery researcher there. Um, Alcor at the time was actually in Fullerton just before they moved to Riverside, which is a, a not a good place to be. Yeah, a lot of bangers <laughs> out there, dog. A lot oh, of it, at least MS9 out there. We, we had legal problems. We could talk about that. that was, yeah, that all was these good. guys do too, uh, trust was, me. <laughs> yeah. not, not quite the same kind maybe, but, no, oh, with, but with, the, with the bureaucrats. Oh, you did? <clears throat> yeah. So so you guys are trying to establish, are you, you're joining something that's already established out there. You're on a six-week, is it like a camp or something? Like no, a, it was just, uh, I decided to come over. But, well, basically what happened was the president at the time said, uh, okay, you sent us some money, that's great. That's great. I'm going to challenge you. Why don't you actually sign up, become the first member in, in England? And I said, okay, I'll do that. They said, if you've got the balls for that, why don't you actually start something in England? So we ended up actually creating the first cryonics organization in England at the time and did a lot of, uh, a lot of media appearances. I did this very scary thing. I'd never been on TV. I was on the Terry Wogan show, which is like Johnny Carson used to be. Uh -huh. Everybody watched it. It was live. Terry Wogan. Bring up a picture of Terry Wogan. Let's see what we're looking at here. I just want to see this. Very famous presenter in England. This uh, lad. The biggest show live. So I had to go on stage live in front of millions of people. Like, no experience. Terrifying. There he is. There Zoom he is. in on a pic of him. Let me get a look at this guy. Terry yeah. Wogan. Yeah, he looks like that. Been around forever. He looks exactly like you'd expect him to look. Irish. Yeah, Irish fella. Oh, is he Irish? Irish, very cheerful. Oh, guy, that's yeah. unfortunate. Well, he was a good host. But actually, that was actually a good appearance because uh, I was on the very, I had the other guests were on. I sat next in the makeup room to Shirley Bassey. You remember the Bond singer? She did all the James Bond themes in the in the Sean Connery days. I remember. Diamonds are forever. Yeah. The songs, <laughs> was, yeah, I remember. Yeah, wow, so, that was her? So she was in the chair because uh, I was there for like a minute. She was there for probably two was hours. Was she cute? Yeah, I, I don't think I could really see her because she was kind of to my side. Yeah. But, uh, but then uh, on the actual show, they had... Um, That's crazy. So they just have you... So that had to yeah. feel kind of strange. Or it at was. this point, were you feeling kind of like empowered and like, what have I stepped I, I was, into? I was kind of terrified at that point. I mean, I got used to it fairly quickly, but it was kind of scary Scary for the very... It was actually my second appearance. The first one was two days early on what they called breakfast TV at the time because it was a new thing. But actually for the Wogan show, I guess they had a budget in those days. I was in Bristol and they sent a guy on the train all the way to Bristol to talk to me to make sure I wasn't a crazy person, I guess. Wow. Um, but on the show itself, they had, um, oh, what is his name? Uh, oh, James Burke. He was like a, a science boffin who did all these very popular shows, had a show called Connections, which is amazing. It showed how all these developments in technology came out of totally unexpected directions. And it was mm. a really good show. And he stayed on next to me. He was that guy before me. And I was like, oh shit, what's he going to say? Is he going to say this is stupid? And he said two things, both of which were supportive. So I went, oh, phew, that's great. <laughs> so wow. Yeah, you feel almost well. accepted at that point. Yeah. Like yeah. a, a moment of like, oh, here's some acceptance by yeah. kind of just society. Yeah. Um, so then I came over to the States, spent six weeks here basically doing the training, went back. And then the next year, uh, I just, I moved over here to go to USC to do my, my doctoral work. So I helped out with alcohol doing cases back those in those early days. And then eventually went on to run the organization much later. And at that point, are you guys like going to bars when people are like, are you, how are you, ad, how are you <laughs> going to bars? Yeah. How are you reaching people, you know, um, or people <laughs> that buy motorcycles? Because I'll say this. <laughs> 
Um, That's an interesting thought. Yeah. People that buy motorcyclists are the number one organ donors. A mm-hmm. lot of people don't know that, but um, yeah, I've heard that. My, plus, plus, they're probably adventurous in spirit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, yeah, they're the number one organ donors. But anyway, so so how how are you guys advertising, like, and and getting the word out to people that there's this company? I'm still thinking about you saying bars. I think I think about going into a bar and like. Hey, can I buy you a pint and talk to you about getting your brain frozen? <laughs> I'm not sure that would work that well. I don't know, dude. There's some chicks I think it would work on. Any gay dude would take that as a good. Any, you could say anything to a gay dude, and if he if he's interested, he'll he'll be interested. So I think he could buy them anything, you know. No, yeah. but, but the biker um, thing is interesting because uh, actually, yeah, it's interesting because how do you find people? I mean, our members tend to be pretty well educated because you need to sort of understand a little bit about the process and understand how it could work and the future stuff. But I think very important again is this adventurous personality. And how do you find that combination? Maybe mountain climbers, maybe people who like to travel the world. But yeah, maybe bikers. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Well, you said earlier, these are adventurers, you know, it's people that well, are explorers, you know? Yeah, I mean. Explorers of tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> well, people, what's that from? <laughs> me oh. <laughs> i'm just doing the voice like from i don't know like a seth MacFarlane voice or something yeah no it makes you feel like that it's like well i'd never thought before until you and i are sitting here talking first of all could i come back that's all i that's as far as my brain had gone with it wow if they could do this sure i'd be willing to be a part you know i'd be willing this sounds like it'd be up my alley but then would i want to you know, would you want to just walk out into like, you know, back out into life, not knowing who would be there, what it would be like? What if we were under like rule of another, you know, you just don't know what it would be like. Well, okay. So I've said before that, you know, I, nobody can forecast the future, not in detail. Right. We have no, no idea. But I think we can reasonably safely make some general predictions, okay. general trend predictions. So you say, we have no idea. What, I think we have some idea of what it'd be like. And I'm going to say things here, which a lot of people are listening are going to go, nah, that's bullshit, man. Because everybody today is thinking that the future is really screwed up. Can I say F words here? Yeah, you can yeah. say it. Everybody's saying that the future is fucked, right? We're going to be fucked by the AIs. We're going to be fucked by pandemics. There's going to be Mad Max worlds. There's just going to be all kinds of awful stuff. Because that's what science fiction shows, because that's the easy way to write drama, right? Yeah. I think that's the wrong way to look at things. If you think about human history over the very long term, have things got better or worse? Well, obviously they've gotten better because we just go back a little way. Women didn't have the vote. Black people were enslaved. We didn't have painkillers. We didn't have antibiotics. We didn't yeah. have anything. We didn't right? have te- a lot of people couldn't keep their we teeth have, for a long have time. Teeth, right? Exactly. In fact, in England, we'd have bad teeth just a few <laughs> yeah. decades ago. You guys are still practicing. It. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> still working on that one. Um, so, you know, so I often ask people that: How? Let me go take it back a hundred years, two hundred years, five hundred years, a thousand years. Would you want to live then? Hell no. When you, if you actually think about what it's like, it was horrible. It was also very violent. I mean, yeah. people think it's violent today. They have no idea. Things have gotten. We're actually at the least violent time in human history. And well, I, even the Bible. At one point, Cain killed Abel. There were four people in the Bible, and one of them killed the other one. Yeah. Well, God says in the Old Testament quite a few times, wipe out this village. (laughs) Wipe out all of them. Or else sometimes he says, keep the women from yourselves, but sometimes he just wipe out everybody. So it was was pretty brutal back then. Yeah, it sounds like it. So so my view is that the, that. the reasonable way to think about the future is to extrapolate what we've always been doing. Right. right, almost like the standard, like the S&P 500. Yeah, it, we get better over time. There are a few, and again, a lot of people don't believe this, but go look, go to, there's a great w- website called Our World in Data, if you don't believe me. Our World Our in world, Data? World in Data. In Our World data. in Data. Yeah, or humanprogress.org. Both of them will show you in immense detail in all these charts, uh, yeah, how many people are starving to death is going down, not, uh, actually in total, not just proportionally. Um, so that gives you just actual data. So instead yeah. of when somebody's like, man, everything sucks, man. 
saying, yeah. you know? These, these actually have lots and lots of information showing how things are generally getting better. Obviously, oh. there are local problems. Things get worse in, in locally for, in various ways. Oh, yeah. Um, but overall, there are a few people starving, not just proportionally, but in total. Uh, the, you know, a lot of people think pollution's getting worse. Even smart people. I, I was debating this professor at UCLA um, on, on a, it's actually an Oxford Union debate. And I was telling her, you know, the, the air in Los Angeles has gotten better over decades. And she went, no, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. Like, really? How could you not know that? Just look at pictures from the 60s. You couldn't see. It was like London fog. Yeah. Right? We had lead in the air. We had all kinds of volatilic compounds. Yeah, dope smoke in the air, too. More, probably. <laughs> yeah, but that as well. But no, so you, but you're saying, so that's a great place to get information. Like, yeah, yeah even Joe Rogan says that. Sometimes, sometimes I romanticize things, and I'm yeah. like, man, I miss this, and I miss that. And he goes, you would have hated that. He's like, "You right now is really the best, mm. you know, the best time to be alive. You have the best chance of living. You have option to as much information exactly. as you want. Yeah, I mean, go back a couple hundred years. You probably never went more than twenty miles from where you were born. That was that was where you lived. You did the damn job your dad and grandfather did. I mean, you had no choices. If you were gay, you're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> hiding. Yeah, gay people yeah. had to hide all the time. If you had the wrong religious ideas, you're in big trouble. You couldn't even get away. Witches. So, Remember they had witches. Oh yeah, like 130 yeah. years ago, they had witches somewhere, dude, and they got them. Yeah. yeah, that stuff's crazy, man. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think it's reasonably safe. I mean, it's always possible we'll completely screw things up and just destroy ourselves, but... Um, I love uh, your attitude. The most likely thing is there will be a pretty decent place to come back in. It'll probably be better than it is today. So I'm willing to come back, even if I have nothing, and I, I do have plans to actually have something, but if I have nothing, I still want to do it. I want to come back and enjoy my life. Yeah, because if you come back and it sucks, you can always leave again. Exactly. <clears throat> there are ways... <clears throat> excuse me. There are ways of actually coming back with something, we hope. Um, first of all, as an organization, because we're a nonprofit, we, we have, a, we have a, what we call a patient care trust fund, where when you pay for this procedure, a big chunk of that money is put into a separate fund and is managed by its own board of trustees. It can't be used to pay for anything else, just for keeping you cryopreserved and eventually revived. Um, but beyond, so we can't divide that up because it's a nonprofit. But you can personally set up a special trust fund, an asset preservation trend, uh, asset preservation fund, where uh, it'll be managed by trustees after you're legally dead. And when you come back, if this works out, then you should get that money back. It's kind of like a like a university endowment, I guess, or something like that, where you can tie it up for a long period of time. So hopefully, when you come back, you'll have money because we don't even know if you need money. Yeah, it may be that robots will be doing all the main things. You you only have to pay for really expensive stuff like going into space or something. We don't really know, but it's nice to have that option. And so the cost when people want to sign up for this type of service, you know, what what is that cost, and how does that look? How do you? What is that like? Yeah, it's less than people think. Um, I mean, I signed up as a, as a pretty poor student when I was 22 years old in England. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, our, our costs have gone up a bit, a bit since then because it was all volunteer and now we have a you know, professional organization. But basically there are two expenses. There is the membership, the membership dues, which you pay while you're still legally alive. It keeps the organization functioning. Um, and that, uh, that actually depends on age now. But let's say it's around uh, about 600 a year. So, yeah, if you're someone who goes to Starbucks every day and gets a cup of coffee, don't tell me you can't afford that. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, if you can afford to get a little buzz in the morning, you can get afford to get a little buzz forever. Yeah, it's a fraction of that price. So <clears throat> so it's really not that much. And then um, the one that will seem expensive is the, the fee itself, or the cryopreservation fee, which pays for the entire process that I've described. Everything from us sending a team to stand by your bedroom, even for, for days to weeks, doing that whole procedure, taking you to Alcor in Arizona, doing the surgery, the perfusion, the cool down, and the indefinite storage. All of that 
For a whole body is a minimum of 200,000. And for neuro, just the brain is 80,000. Oh, wow. Now, that may seem like a fair bit to people, but I make the point that almost all our members, probably 95% of our members, pay for that with life insurance. So you don't have to have 80,000 or 200,000 bucks in your pocket. You have a life insurance policy, which most people can have. And if you're reasonably young and healthy, that's not a big expense. Mm-mm. So, um, so, so people makes can have, our organization the beneficiary. Uh, makes your organization yeah. the beneficiary of the life insurance yeah. policy. Wow, that's really interesting. And can people even say they have enough money in their life insurance policy? They could split that up and make their family sure. and you guys. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Dang. So... Dude, I think I want to get in, bro. I can't even believe I, yeah. I didn't think I was going to buy in, but I think, dude, come visit us. Come visit us in Arizona. Take yeah, it's like yeah. all time share. It's like, it's like the ultimate timeshare, you know. And a lot of timeshares are shit. My brother got in one, but, um, but this is like the timeshare, like that. This is like the real timeshare. Like if I'm buying a timeshare, I feel like you guys are yeah. like selling the best one, you know. Um, so you wouldn't have to share your body with anybody. <laughs> yeah, could you yeah, share one of the little with. things with somebody? Well, actually, yeah, the, the doers, the containers. Yeah, actually, that is what you do right now because good. Uh, the, the ones we've been using for a long time contain four patient, four whole body patients, but now we have what we call the super doers, which will take about eleven whole body patients. Hell yeah! Uh, you dude. might say, "Well, who am I going to be spending my time next to?" Well, you won't be aware of anything, of course. There's no consciousness. Do you ever see the movie uh, Vanilla Sky? Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz. Yeah, I did see it. Yeah. So that was very unrealistic cryonics, right? They had cryonics in that, but they offered a, um, uh, a lucid dreaming option where you could have dreams while you're cryopreserved. That does not work. You cannot do that because there's no brain activity. There's oh, no metabolism. So, so you guys don't have that. That, that doesn't work. But. but what about the one movie with uh, Mel Gibson that I loved? Remember when he came back? He was frozen. Oh, is that one where he ages rapidly when he comes back? Yeah. yeah. See, that's kind of a negative one. Though. There's no reason why that would happen. That's kind of. Yeah, sorry. Don't, don't reference that one. Yeah. But I loved that movie just because he got to come back. You know, mm-hmm. he got to come back and have some moments that he missed right. out on. Because he was from the like 1940s or something and. Yeah. yeah, and he got to come back there. It was right there, uh, Forever Young. Forever Young, right. Then God. There's Demolition. There's been so many movies. Demolition Man, of course, were... Uh, That's one of the reasons I was so man. interested in speaking with you because it's a fa- it's, it is fascinating. It's fascinating because I still just think of my life on these limited terms. And to be able to adjust my perspective to think of my life as like, well, what if this is just a start of something that's going to happen like... It is just the start. I mean, if you've been 50 years, it's still just the start. That, right. That's the great thing is it changes your perspective on things. Yeah. And if you think, what kind of people would we be? I mean, right, just think about how we are right now. It, uh, the human condition is pretty awful in a way because you're pretty stupid when you're 20 years old, even 30 years old. You kind of haven't learned very much. Right? Even takes, 41. Yeah, even 58. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it takes a while. 58? I'm 58, yeah. Well, you look great, man. Well, thanks. Well, I don't want to... Get cryopreserved any sooner than they need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we it takes us a while to learn things. And just as we're starting to figure a few things out in life, we start going wrinkly and weak, getting heart disease, and our brain slows down. That's true. Isn't this awful that yeah, as age goes up, vitality goes down at the same time? What if you could live indefinitely, get older in years, but stay vigorous and youthful in fact maybe even get smarter because we could probably do alterations to make you even more intelligent and you know emotionally emotionally more stable how what kind of person would you be after a few hundred years of increasing experience and wisdom i mean for one thing i don't think we'd have many wars because who who fights the wars it's the 19 and 20 year olds it's not the people who are 70 years old they're not going to risk all that life they've had so i I think people would think long term they think about the environment they think about you know not having wars but better kinds of ways of negotiating so i think it really changes a lot of stuff and i think for the better well, yeah, it's so true. You're. It's so often like I always, 
I always uh, talk with guys about how how crazy it is, how hard it is to pass information on from one generation to the next, even though they're right there. It's like, you know, it's and how like how it doesn't feel successfully residual when you like teach your kids, they learn the same thing you learned and then you're dead. You know, it's like it seems like we get caught in this, like just start this this bad repetition uh it doesn't but, hurt when the schools are so bad too and that's oh, hard, hard to get to learn anything from oh. <laughs> as i know from teaching yeah <clears throat> um but yeah to, to to have an extension where you're like wow i'm gonna be able to really keep this information are there are there certain like ethnicities or uh gender who 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 does that who who's your clientele right now kind of or who has it been and what has that looked like uh changing over time or not changing well because we will take anybody just like a hospital we're not going to send someone away because we don't like <laughs> the look of you or your, your religion or whatever right right um, but um yeah <clears throat> we do tend to skew male right now and you know there's some uh discussion about why is that uh, and you can have kind of speculations well maybe it's an evolutionary thing that Traditionally, males have been the ones to you know, the hunter-gatherers to go out there and get the food, while the women kind of protect things at the home or whatever. Maybe I don't know that that's kind of a possible explanation. Yeah, or that are a lot of archetypes. What is archetypes? Yeah, what is, are a lot of our I think it's archetypes. Yeah, have been like males that are like the um, you know, and so maybe they've been a lot of the explorers yeah. over history, it's and even though now yeah. it's changing some, like they right. have like She Hulk is coming out, I think. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> but so now I think maybe that process might be getting more involved in women's heads, you know, and, exactly. and female so it's, it's brain. It's changing, but it's still. I think there is still that aspect it's, there, right? So okay, uh, so, so that, it's that might men. Be, that might be part of it, but we're seeing. Uh, so we're like seventy something percent male right now, but we're also seeing more family signing up as a whole, which is great because the idea of coming back with your family is obviously more appealing than being solo. Yeah, uh, so that's one aspect. But we tend to find that our members tend to be uh, more highly educated than the average. And I think that's natural because to think about these ideas in depth and to go through the details and figure it out, it's more likely to be someone who's more educated. Yeah, I've never thought, I mean, I hadn't thought much about it. But it's not necessary. Um, But again, I I guess in terms of people's industry, we definitely have a lot of people from the computer industry. Mm. I think there's a reason why we have a lot of people from computers, which is if you think about it, People who deal with computers <clears throat> deal with really complex problems, millions of lines of code. Uh, these things, most people look at it and go, how the heck are we going to deal with this? It's impossible. But they're used to hacking the system, hacking the problem, right? They break it down into smaller components. Right. And if you think about the body and the aging body and repairing the brain, that's a massively complex problem. Most people are going to say, oh, that's impossible. That's but someone who deals with computers is going to say, no, it's not. We're just going to break it down into smaller components. We're going to hack the problem until we've solved it. So I think wow. it's probably natural that we get people from that area in particular. And that's so interesting. I'm glad those people are going, we're going to need those people. And what if their ethnicities, is it more, is it like a, or I guess wealthier people can maybe afford it, but especially when you say that life insurance can be part of it, that's a huge, I mean, that makes a big difference. Yeah. That's, yeah. Because yeah. do you want to leave, especially if you got like kind of a shitty kid, do you want to leave your money <laughs> to your shitty kid, dude, yeah. who's not doing much, who's doing a lot of, you know you know, uh, who's still playing like a lot of like pickup sports or whatever. And he's like 45, he's living at the house and whatever, but, or do you want to get say, a job. yeah, get, get a, job, a job and I'm going to get, and I'm going to come back and make sure you have a job. Exactly. It's interesting, man. Yeah. But wow. no, as you said earlier, we, uh, we do encourage people to provide for their family as well, because if you don't, if you put everything into the career preservation fund, there's an incentive for, I mean, it's amazing how bad families are. Once you, once you're legally dead, 
they turn into vultures in many cases. It's, oh, yeah. it's pretty sad. And you'd say, oh, no, my family would never do that. Well, man, we've seen it too often. They'll actually try and take the funds you've dedicated for you know, your own possible survival. Really? Have you guys had to go to any court cases yes. or whatever? To... Yes, we have a number of times. Oh. And we will do that. We were very we're absolute about protecting our members' rights. So we've had parent, you know, relatives try to take people out of crowd preservation, try to block it. And we, we have. We've gone to court a number of times to protect the rights. Oh. So try to provide for them you know, separately, unless you really hate the kid and don't want to do it. But... Uh, uh, but yeah, provide for them separately, um, preferably with a separate policy to make it even less complicated. I love Matt. This is cool, man. And why, why, um, how do we know that you guys will, uh, be able to stay around? Like, I guess we don't. Great question. I actually, uh, you know, I take that question very seriously. Um, people are really interested can go to our, our, our website, alcor.org, go to the cryonics magazine and look for a two part article I wrote on this very topic. Uh, how? Uh, what was the title? How to sustain an organization for more than a century? And we'll put a link in that in the um, in the episode. We'll put it in the episode information, guys. But yeah, it's just because yeah, I guess that would be some people's question. Because even like I remember we went to Pizza Hut when I was young. Pizza, I don't know if they have it in your country, but they have a place here. It's called Pizza Hut. And uh, when I was young, it was like a nice sit down restaurant. We'd go in there. People were nice. And now it's like barely even you know it's not as good anymore. And it's just like a bunch of brothers fighting outside all the time. So I like it's the way you say your, your country, like England is mine. Uh, all of England is mine. No, <laughs> I'm actually more American than English at this point. So I've been here since. Do you feel that way? Yeah, yeah. We've I think we've had three British people, and we've had you, uh, Michael Bisping, and Robbie Williams. I think are free three Brits. Pretty cool. Pretty cool uh, client. Pretty cool group. But so, yeah. So anyway, I, I, sorry I, so, to go back to yeah. it. Sorry. No, I almost lost the chain of thought too. Uh, so no, um, so I've written on this because it's a really important topic and, and it's, a, it's a reasonable concern. If you look at most uh, companies, they don't tend to last that long. It's a, it's a little tricky if you look at the numbers because they often merge. They don't necessarily die. They kind of merge into other companies. Right. But still, most for-profit companies, uh, you can think of exceptions, but most of them don't last more than a few decades. And small businesses don't last more than a few years at all in general. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we I, I did some research on that. What you find is the most of the really long-lived organizations in history tend to be either religious organizations, governmental institutions, or educational institutions. Now, there are exceptions. In Japan, they have they actually have a number of thousand-year-plus companies, and they're almost wow. all very tightly held family-run businesses. Mm. Uh, I think that the longest-lived one was, what, 1,400 and some years old. Dang. Uh, uh, and it, I think it, it built temples or something. And then during some massive war, there were no temples to build. It, it built uh, coffins for a while instead. So it was a little bit flexible. Mm. <clears throat> but generally, you know, obviously I, I went, for instance, I went to Oxford University, which is the second oldest university in the yeah, world. Yeah, I walked over there one time, walked by it. <clears throat> it's yeah. cool. Do you see the gardens? Yeah, it's beautiful, nice, dude. Yeah. Blew my mind. But that's been around for like half a millennium. So that, that's a long time, <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> I think the oldest one is the University of Seville in Spain. So they can survive a long time. Uh, obviously, religion, yeah, the Vatican's been around for a long time, other religious organizations. Yeah. Um, so nonprofits kind of, the thing is about you know, for-profit companies, which I'm you know, perfectly fine with, but they have to, especially public ones, they have to answer to shareholders and they think about short-term profits and so on. If you're really long-term, you really want to be a nonprofit because you don't have to worry about short, you have to make money, but you have to make more than you you spend obviously just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you can lose money because right. <laughs> you go out of existence. Right, but you don't have to have like you don't have to meet certain right. huge goals. You don't have to uh, appease uh, shareholders. Right. You can just be you know do your best and stay alive. Yeah, you can you can optimize for the long term rather than the short term. And you guys are almost like a school and a bit of a religion in a way that uh, I wouldn't want to say that, but uh, only in the sense that or a bit of a belief that people want mm. to be, explore. 
Yeah. Only that's in, what I mean. Only in the sense that we're thinking about some pretty profound stuff in that, in that sense. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but we do, there's all kinds of things we do to survive for the long term. And some of this is unique to us. So I mentioned earlier the patient care trust fund. Where mm-hmm. when, you, when you pay the fee for this, a big chunk of it goes into a separate fund that can't be touched for any operations, only for maintaining patients. Mm-hmm. And that is maintained by a separate board of trustees. There's a strict rule. You can never draw more than 2% a year. So even if the market is crappy for you know, a long period of time, we can ride that out. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an endowment fund, just like universities, which is fairly modest right now. It's just a few million, but hopefully that will build up and that will pay uh, you know, a steady income to the operations. Uh, we have a board of directors that you know, they're not not paid. Uh, it's kind of self-perpetuating, so they can't be voted out by people who are hostile, which can happen in, in small oh, organizations. Oh, yeah, totally. You get voted out by outsiders. Uh, we do a lot of different things to really protect ourselves for the long term. And you know, we're in our 51st year right now. So we've been around for over half a century as it is at this point. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really, really, it's just, man, the whole thing is really interesting to me. So once, so how would we bring people back? I think that's got to be the big question now. Yeah, actually. What's uh, going to happen there, Maxie? Well. What are we doing, okay? The time has come. You guys get the email from whoever it is. Uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson or whatever emails you and tells you, hey, Maxie, we got everybody. Let's bring them out, you know? Let's, let's do a big thaw or whatever. Let's cook, yeah. you know? Let's do a barbecue, you know? Well, the opposite of a barbecue. Well, not what a barbecue. Yeah, let's do it. A slow roast. A slow roast. Okay? okay. What happens? How do we do it, Max? Uh, I don't know. Is, is, I don't know is the, is the first answer, right? Because again, we can't forecast specific technologies in the future. I'll, I'll do a little bit better than that in a second. But just to make the point that it'd be kind of like asking me, let's say we're in 1890 and you said, okay, Max, how are we going to put someone on the moon and when? It's like, how the hell do I know that? I've got to invent rockets that we haven't designed yet, uh, life support systems, computer systems. Now, we know it's possible in principle. It doesn't violate any physical law. And that's the point that we're making. There's nothing impossible about this. But how do I know exactly how? I don't. But given that, okay, uh, we can point to a number of lines of evidence. First of all, I already mentioned we're growing organs in the lab, so we right. know we can actually get control of human biology more and more, and we should better regenerate organs and tissues. Uh, and that's, that'll be a big thing in the in the coming years, people regrowing organs. Of course. I mean, that's a, that's <clears throat> if they can do that, if they can regrow tissue, that's a huge part of you guys' deal. Yeah. That's, that's a, a huge part of it. of it. They're making pigs back. They're bringing pa- big pigs back. Right. Uh, and But the most critical thing, of course, is repairing the brain. That's the most important part. That's where ah. we live. So for that, we may need, well, first of all, there may be a point where we get so good at preserving people that we do very little damage. Now, that means we can bring people back with much less advanced technology. But for our existing patients, where there is considerable damage, there's often some ice formation that we haven't entirely prevented. Oh, yeah. Um, there's all kinds of damage. That's going to take some advanced technology, probably nanotechnology. I don't know if you're familiar with nanotechnology. Um, it's it's something that you know hear, people hear the word a lot but don't understand very well. I just saw an article <clears throat> the other day about how they were using DNA to go inside of a body to detect something. Um They'd yeah. made a nanotechnology out of DNA and yeah. were using it inside that's, that's of a kind body. of a biological form of... of, of the, nanotechnology comes in different forms, but nanotechnology can be the biological form like you're talking about, or it could be more of a mechanical form. Basically, the definition of it is it's from the nano prefix, meaning a billionth, billionth of a meter. Okay. So, so you've got, you know, meter length objects, you've got things that are... Uh, you know, one micrometers, incredibly tiny, tiny machines. People have built actually a functioning automobile that you have to have a microscope to see it's so small. And we're talking about a thousand times smaller than that. So devices that, uh, you know, we've evolved these devices naturally. Obviously, they're inside our cells. But we're talking about actually designing devices that could go inside your cells. We go right here. Um, yeah, nanobots throwing through your body. There you go. So uh, they could be you know, artificial blood cells. So you could actually, uh, Robert Fetus, who's an expert in this area, designed 
uh, what do you call respiracites, where you could pump in all this extra oxygen. You wouldn't, have, you could hold your breath for like an hour or something. Wow, because um, the nanobots will be able to carry out oxygen yeah, with them. That's maybe? a very simple example, but you can right. actually devices that go in there could find uh, you know deposits of fat in the arteries and slice that off. Go inside cells, cut out all the cancer very specifically. Uh, take out the plaques that might be causing Alzheimer's wow. disease. Uh, repair age-related damage. So basically, this is like a very advanced technology which is on the drawing board and. Uh, Fritas has actually a, a book on, the, on this right now that we know is possible because it doesn't violate physical laws. It's not like time travel. It's just a matter of developing it. Right. It's the same thing that goes back to when you said, well, how would we get to the moon from somebody in the 1890s or whatever? And they're like, well, somebody who could look ahead at that point and say it's possible because it doesn't getting there wouldn't really defy any physical laws. But not everybody got that point. I mean, right. No, of course not. No, I'm sure if you like, had told me, I'd have been like, you're out of here. Like the New York times, this is, this is hilarious. The New York times in the, I think it was the late forties or the fifties, maybe uh, they, they kind of dismissed the idea of space travel because there's, well, there's, you can't move in space because there's nothing to push against. It's like, do not understand Newton's laws of action and reaction. So that was pretty stupid. The British astronomer Royal, a guy you know, is a yeah. physics, in 1959, 10 years before we land on the moon, says that this is idea is ludicrous. We'll never, we'll never fly in space. We'll never fly on. This is the astronomer Royal. So when people say that something's impossible, always ask them, you know, why do you think it's impossible? Because people, if they can't imagine something, they think it's impossible, which is pretty poor argument, right? Just because their lack of imagination doesn't mean it's not possible. And that usually is, it's usually lack of imagination, argument from lack of imagination. They need to better show that it actually violates physical laws. Like right now, as far as we can tell, given basic physics, we're never going to have backwards time travel. You can have forwards time travel by going very f fast towards the speed of light and you know, your, your zone of reference changes. And so if you came back- Yeah, if you want to get out of a marriage passed, or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah, but you can't go back in time. As far as we can tell, that probably isn't right. possible. So, but we're not talking about violating physical laws. We're talking about what we're already seeing, which is the development of science and technology, the way it inevitably keeps developing on a finer and finer level, just a projection of that. How long it will take, we can't really say. I'm guessing 50 to 150 years, very vaguely. But it seems like a good bet. Uh, right. It's I'm um, look. There's nothing to lose, basically. <laughs> yeah, the most I work. I do my bookie sometimes, but for me, this legitimately seems like a good bet. It's like it just costs a little bit, but what you know? When it's you, not that what, crazy. If, if, you, if you're dead, what are you gonna do with the money anyway? And it's that's not that. Yes, it's a lot of money, but when people are buying a lot of the shit that they're buying these days, right. it's not that. It's not that unrealistic. And then also, if you got to come mm. back, and if you didn't like some people and they didn't do it, then they wouldn't be there, which would be cool. Right. But what about outlive, this? Outlive your enemies. Yeah, yeah. outlive your enemies, right? Yeah. But what about the brain? So what would have to happen with the brain? Because, or, or what what's happening now with the with the thawing out that or the freezing? What's happening with the cells that's not there yet? One hundred percent. Well, like I said, with, with a lot of tissues, we can we can actually uh, cryopreserve them, bring them back perfectly well. The the problem is, as I kind of mentioned earlier, the biggest problem right now is in reversing the process is the larger the tissue, the larger the mass of tissue, um, the harder it is to bring them back because the problem is actually the, the rate of rewarming. You can cool very slowly, but you have to rewarm very rapidly. And I won't get too much into the technical mm. details, but and it might sound weird. Kind of flash fry them. It's kind of, the, yeah, it's in a way, well, the problem is that ice can actually form as you warm up, which might sound weird. How could ice form as you warm up? But it actually can. It's called recrystallization. And uh, to avoid that, you have to rewarm very rapidly. It could be like several degrees per second. And for, you know, like skin, which is thin, you can do that, right? Um, even heart valves and corneas. But when you're talking like a kidney 
or a brain or a whole organism, that's pretty tricky. And so there's a research into this right now. There's all kinds of different ways of doing that. But right now, we can't do it fast enough. That's why we can't bring people back today. So people will say, well, what you're saying is stupid because have you ever brought anybody back? Well, no, of course we haven't. That's not the point. Right. And we don't have to today. Right. Because when you're cryopreserved, you can wait for as long as it takes. You're not getting any worse. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's, so you almost need something that's going to be able to reheat the center and the outside at the exact same kind of yeah. rate, kind of. Yeah. And there's all, there's all kinds of, actually, just at the conference we had recently, I had a top researcher who talked about some of the main methodologies of radio frequency warming and nano warming. There's all kinds of methods that are being investigated today. Do you believe, so you must obviously believe then that we have so much more uh, to learn oh, that I think, we're going to advance. We're just getting started. I mean, people, people often in history, it's funny, if you look back at some history books, you find people saying that we've, we've learned everything there is to know. Even like 20 years ago, there was this guy, what's his name, John Horgan or something? The End of Physics is his book. Like, oh, wow. Seriously, guy? Uh, <laughs> first of all, we haven't integrated general relativity and quantum mechanics. They, don't, they won't work together. Physics is obviously not, not correct at all. I'm sure um, a lot of juniors in high school were stoked, though. <laughs> yeah, you know? nothing more to learn. Yeah, but people have said that for a long time, and you know, you think about uh, Sir Isaac Newton, who created the laws of motion. Yeah, uh, the you, app. Could, you could predict, uh, you know, how you throw a football or how planets move. That's pretty amazing. Obviously, that's the final word, right? No, Einstein came along and said, well, that's not really correct. So, yeah, I think we have a huge amount to learn. We don't even understand dark matter and what most of the universe consists of. Uh, yeah, people get stuck in their little contemporary framework and think, well, what else can there be? I yeah. think we'll look back in a hundred, a thousand years and say, how primitive we were. What primitive, stupid creatures we were back then. Just like we would look back on cave people and kind of think, oh, poor bastards. They didn't know, know what the hell we were doing back then. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 I love the, the idea of challenging your own imagination. Like just because you can't imagine it, going beyond even your own imagine the, the 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 walls of your own imagination that's fascinating to me here's one thing that actually excites me about the future people often say well what do you, what do you want to do when you come back and obviously it'll depend on what there is to do right there'll be a lot of stuff i haven't even conceived of but one thing that excites me is because i personally am not a big fan of of, of the politics of the world right today i, I think our societies are, are doing things really badly in a lot of ways. We've gone in the wrong direction. I think there's far much central control on things, too much authoritarianism, too many people afraid of things and looking to governments and authorities to solve their problems. Yeah, the worst. Uh, I, I want to get, I like to, just like people a few centuries ago left Europe to escape oppression and come to America and start fresh with a freer society. I think America's gone in the wrong direction, frankly. And I look forward to getting off this freaking planet yeah. and starting new colonies, <laughs> yeah. new societies with new rules where we can start fresh with all these huge bureaucracies and politicians, start with a new constitution better than the one we had you know which didn't last too long unfortunately yeah uh, to me that's an exciting prospect because we can't do it here on earth everything is controlled by somebody on earth but getting off the planet that's a whole new ball game man it's so funny because i was just talking a few weeks ago about like i wish like america we could go to a new america kind of like yeah but now and then and and then my my thought got to First, that's what I imagine. Man, wouldn't it be cool if we could sail off to a new America, you know? But there isn't anymore. Right. So then my imagination kind of shut down at that point. And it was like, oh, we can't do it. But then here you are saying, well, what if the new America is out into the yeah. space? You know, there's it's a lot like, of space out there. There's no lack of space. There's huge resources. Like a single asteroid can have millions of tons of carbon and, and, and nitrogen, all kinds of materials that we can use. There's amazing amounts of stuff out there. There's no lack of resources. People are saying, oh, we're running out of resources. 
they don't know what they're talking about. This is a whole other issue because a whole other area of this, of course, is what if there are too many people in the future? That's a whole other whole other thing that I think people don't think clearly about. But once you're in space, there's just massive amounts of resources. There's, that's where solar power actually will work because you have direct sun power 100% of the time, whereas even in Arizona, it doesn't necessarily work all the time. So, yeah, I think getting into space really takes away those boundaries of possibility and uh, we can try all kinds of new social experiments. Wow. If you want your little totalitarian or socialist society, whatever you want, yeah. fine, you can have it. Just don't impose it on me. I want to have my much more free society over here. If you want you know, like your Mormon society there, fine. Uh, you know, everybody can have their own society if they like. Yeah, dude, we need to build <clears throat> like an arc and just figure <clears throat> it out. Um, why are you guys stationed? You guys are based out of, Alcor is based out of? Scottsdale, Arizona. Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. And why? It, Which might seem kind of funny that we're in a really hot place. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good of, point. It's going to cost you more. One of the hottest places. It doesn't actually make any difference. Um, but it's, it's symbolically kind of appropriate because we're you know in the Phoenix area. And of course, the Phoenix is the symbol of rising from the ashes and returning to life. So it's kind of symbolically appropriate. Uh, we didn't really choose it for that reason. But when we were actually based in California, we had the Phoenix as our logo. Now we can't do that because it's confusing for the city uh, of Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's two main reasons why we're there. And, you know, the heat actually doesn't make any difference. Once you're in our, our containers, which we call Dewar's after Sir James Dewar, the metal, basically very large, expensive thermos flasks is what your patients are in. It doesn't okay. really matter what the temperature is. We could actually put them outside in the heat and it wouldn't make a difference. But like you would see at a brewery, really. Exactly. Yeah, very, yeah. very similar. Um, so the two main reasons are, and this will come back to a point I made earlier, uh, <clears throat> one of which is uh, environmental stability. Like We were, you know, used to be in Riverside and Fullerton area. Well, there's a huge bloody earthquake fault right here. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, storing patients long-term near a massive earthquake fault doesn't seem like the best idea in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's a real, yeah, I would, yeah, even I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it. Uh, whereas where we are in, in that area, um, we don't really have earthquakes. We can occasionally feel aftershocks from California. Uh, nobody's ever died in an earthquake in Arizona. We don't have t uh, typhoons or any kind of weather events. All we have to do is the occasional dust storm going through. So yeah. it's pretty stable. But another major reason is we had a bad time in California. And today, of course, it's, it's much worse in terms of the bureaucrats here. Oh, um, but in the Riverside area, we had some, some major problems. Um, we went through a, you know, major legal battles where we were accused of murdering somebody uh, by the Riverside coroner. Uh, we, the health department then jumped on us and said what we were doing was illegal because there was no box on the stupid form to check. And we had to go through a whole lot of legal battles, really? which we won all of. But eventually you said the hell with this and, and, and moved out to Arizona. Um, yeah, it was it was quite a time, like in 1980. They uh, accused you of murdering someone. Yeah, yeah. 19, it was 1988. It was the Dora Kent case. You can read all about it on the website. Um, this was the coroner who... Uh, this guy loved to get publicity. This was the same guy who ordered Liberace's body to be exhumed so that he could prove that he died of AIDS. Like, uh, dude, you really need to do that? I mean, yeah, what a pervert. <clears throat> if you don't know Liberace died of AIDS, you're an idiot. <laughs> so he liked to get in the newspapers. I think he, he looked on us and saw like a really small organization that he could crush and get his face in the papers and didn't realize what he was getting into. Yeah. And so what happened was <clears throat> one of our members, um, his mother, who was 83 years old, I think, uh, and she was dying, we took her into the building, which we would never do anymore for, the, for this reason. Um, and it took a couple of days and she, you know, her body Expired gave out. there. Yeah, and she was declared legally dead. And then sometime after that, everything was fine. We registered the death and everything and did the procedure. <clears throat> and it was, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks later that uh, they suddenly decided to look at that and said, well, let's take a look at this. And they got, I guess they had some kind of samples and they said there was barbiturates in her bloodstream. And they said, well, well, yeah, that's because that's what we do first thing to stop awareness returning, right? After she's legally dead, now we use propofol instead, but it's basically the same thing. Uh, it's not like we killed her with that. Plus, what the hell is the motive 
for the son who has the money killing his mother who has no money. I mean, there's no motive. Yeah. She's, she's 83 years old. I mean, do you think she's healthy? It didn't make any sense. Um, then they, they raid it. You can find this actually. Bring up, bring up Dora Kent. Come on, help can, me out here. You can find it in the LA Times. There's, there's lots of stuff on that. Uh, they accuse us of stealing stuff from UCLA because they didn't bother to ask for our receipts. All these wild accusations. Um, oh, she looks like Groucho Marx a little bit. <laughs> or in that picture. So yeah, that's a good story that, that kind of tells wow. you everything that happened there. So, you know, we it almost killed us because we didn't really have any money at the time, only because of a couple of our members who paid for the legal bills that we survived this. Then the health department, this is typical bureaucracy, the health department then came along and said, well, <clears throat> what you're doing is illegal. Oh, said, yeah. Why? Well, because there's the two kit. boxes. There's a, there's a cremation box, there's a burial box. There's no cryo box. So we said, well, give us a box to check. And they said, no. <laughs> so it's a catch-22, right? It's illegal because there's no box. And there's no box because it's illegal. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I thought America was a place where things are legal unless it's specifically a law against them. That's kind of the point of the freaking constitution. So we had to get a constitutional attorney, spend a lot more money from our member. And, and we won again. But this is not Thanks. the kind of place we wanted to, to live, really, in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to get into <clears throat> space eventually with the group. Um, so you guys end up over in uh, Scottsdale. What do you guys do? What's the process of keeping the bodies cool? And how long does that take? Like, how does it... What else do you have to do? So oh, you're yeah. in there. They're in what? Or they're in a... Actually, before we get to that, just to sort of finish okay. that story, the one reason we chose Scottsdale was uh, we had a member who lived in the area and he met with the local politicians. And it turns out, you know, we've had the mayor of Scottsdale open our conferences. We've had a lot of the top council people come do tours of Alcor. And they actually like us there. They boast about, you know, having advanced stuff there. So it's a radically different than California. So I just had to put that in there. No, I think <clears> it's <throat> interesting. I think a lot of that <clears throat> has started to happen. California's gotten <clears throat> so... I don't know what it is. It's gotten so ridiculous that a lot of the creatives have started to want to go to other places and do different things. They are. They're leaving for, um, for Arizona, leaving for Austin, for, for Florida. Um, okay, so yeah. what else did we? What else were we saying? Uh, what, what we do for the long term to, to right. So what kind of? What am I in? If I'm in there, am I? In, do I have my hands up or what? Am I, if I do full body? Oh, we're going to put you in some kind of funny position and make funny. No, no. Now, what happens is once we finish the surgical procedure, we've washed out the blood and we've done the cool down. Uh, actually, we have a, on the operating table, we actually have a, a, a shape to the table to make you kind of cool you down like this because we don't okay. want you with your arms sticking out, which make you hard to Taking put into a lot the of container. Room, yeah. So we're going to actually shape you. Um, and then we'll put you in a, a sleeping bag, a high quality sleeping bag. That's not for your Ooh. comfort. The reason for that is if we ever have to pull you out and transfer you to another container, the sleeping bag will be drenched with liquid nitrogen. There we go right there. That's yeah. That's the ice bath. That's where. That's before we put you in the container. But, and are <clears> you <throat> there doing it? Do you help, doctor? Or yeah, I, I usually I usually help out. I'm not a technical Whoa. person, but I'm usually overseeing and maybe scribing, making notes as to what's happening. So those Whoa. are the containers. So before we put you in that container you see there, we'll first of all put you in an aluminum pod. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, the sleeping bag, as I said, so <clears throat> that soaks up liquid nitrogen in case we have to move you. It stops the temperature rising. Then we encase you in an aluminum pod, which is a mm -hmm. good temperature conductor. We open up the roof hatch, which is just down where you can't quite see it there. Mm -hmm. And then we'll put you in what you can see here. These are the aluminum doers. Mm -hmm. I mean, the sort of stainless steel doers, which again, have a vacuum layer. They're just like very large, bloody expensive thermos flasks. So you can touch the outside. They'll just be chilly metal, but inside it's minus 320 Fahrenheit. Oh boy. Yeah. We getting in there. In this picture, you can see, uh, here's a fill going on. There's liquid nitrogen fill. We have a truck pull up the back. It fills them all. And on a, this is probably a good humid day because we don't usually get this much vapor, but it's great for images. You've got the liquid nitrogen vapor. Oh yeah, vapor. great for huffing too. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> I'd take a hit off of that whole room. <laughs> um, and actually, so, actually, it would kill you if you breathe too much. Would it really? We have to have, uh, I don't I'd think have a little. Uh, you can see one on the right, actually. You can see that tube on the right. Mm -hmm. That's a vent. So 
uh, we have sensors. So if the, if the oxygen goes down too low because of the liquid nitrogen, it'll automatically go on and suck it out and pump in air because you will actually suffocate if you don't get enough oxygen. Oh, so. dang. So, you guys are, so it's a really controlled environment. Yeah, yeah. How many people do you have stored right now? Uh, let's see. We've added a number just recently. I think we're at 196 patients, human patients, okay. plus something like uh, close to 100 pets. Oh, wow. The yeah. pets are coming in. Yeah. Yeah. My own dog, my own first dog is, is in there, Oscar. <gasps> Full hate, body or brain? Uh, he's a big dog. He was a big doodle. So no, just brain. It would be expensive because he has to do it. It'd be almost as expensive as a human if he did the whole body. And since I'm brain only myself, you know, why would I do that? Yeah. So I actually didn't like dogs before we had Oscar. I didn't want to get one. And my wife insisted on a dog. She wanted a, a poodle. I said, I'm not walking a poodle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I feel you. I'm not going to be seen walking a poodle. But we agreed on a, on a, a, a doodle, which is a, a good combination, um, golden retriever and poodle. And Bro- you loved it, huh? Most popular dogs in Scottsdale now. Yeah. Yeah, and, same and, here. Uh, they're smart. They're playful. They're a lot of fun. Um, so uh, yeah, so when he, he actually lasted 15 years, which is a long time for a big dog. Wow. But uh, then he was got valley fever and other things, and we had to you know, put him down. But we cryopreserved him. I just learned about valley fever the other day. Yeah, it's such a bizarre thing. It's a weird kind of bacterial thing. I don't think I've ever had it, fortunately. But I'd never heard of it till <clears throat> two days ago, and somebody mentioned it. Um, okay, so we have 196 patients, yep. and people can do body, head, or brain, or is bo- no, just whole body, or is the we we just say the neuro, but that means basically the brain kept inside the skull, just because it's easier. Okay, and um, and you guys have Ted. Ted the rumor is always Ted Williams is chronically frozen. Yeah, he was supposed to be private. Uh, when people sign up, they can choose to be private or public. Okay, because uh, some people just don't want people to know because it's considered unusual. And we have some famous people who signed up who I can't name. But yeah, Ted Williams was mentioned, was supposed to be private, but there was a big legal battle because one of his family said he didn't really want to do it and the other said they did. And so we had to go to court and it became public. So he's uh, probably our most famous known patient. Uh, we actually get people who are big baseball fans come to visit him and really <laughs> to see where he is. Yeah. And uh, can people do tours of the facility, like uh, guided tours? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we offer them twice a week and we can do them by special arrangement. We like to be very open uh, so you can see the place. We publish case reports to explain what we do in each of the cases and what went right and what went wrong. Um, because it's not standard medicine, uh, we think it's very important to have very, very good feedback on what we do. Because you know, I'm going to be in there myself at some point. I don't want to hide anything from anybody. So we're, right. we're as open as possible to hold ourselves to account and make sure things are doing <laughs> working properly. And what about, bring up that Ted Williams. Let me see him. We also have... Um, there's also a public member I can mention, an old friend of mine, Hal Finney, whose name you might not be familiar with, but if you're into cryptocurrencies, uh, you'd know his name. He was the first guy to ever receive a Bitcoin, and some people think that he's the creator, although he always denied that he was. Really? So, From crypto to cryo, huh? Yeah. There's that's actually a lot of people interested in both. It's an interesting combination there. I could see that. Wow, that's Ted Williams right there, huh? And y'all, y'all just have his brain then, huh? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Dang. He's a pretty handsome guy. Wouldn't be nice. There's actually there's a novel that came out a couple of years ago. I haven't read it, but it's all about him coming back from being cryopreserved and carrying on in the future. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And has there been proper? What? uh, And so once you get the bodies in there, um, like where is Ted Williams' brain right now? By the way, we, we don't call them bodies. We call them patients. Okay, sorry. A, no, it's okay. I just, I just want to say that because in our minds, they are patients. They're just like someone right. in a long-term coma who we're caring for. So we don't Dang. think of them as body. They're, they're actually patients. So the patient, um, Ted Williams, is in one of the doors. Yeah. yeah. Wow. 
So with neuro patients, um, they only take up, you know, as you can imagine, they only take up about a tenth of the volume of a whole body patient. Yeah. So it, it, it's less expensive to store them, which is one reason we can charge less because the long, if you're paying for long-term storage for the, you know, the rent and the insurance and maintenance, obviously it's, it's one tenth of what it is for a whole body patient. Got it. Uh, so you're in there with, uh, we can convert the pod that contains one whole body patient with shells and have 10 neuro patients in the same volume. I don't know which one he's in because that's one of our security issues is we don't identify who's in which doer uh, just in case someone has like a, a really bad enemy and wants to come in and find them. Right, it right. Makes it more difficult. But you guys know <clears throat> though, it's not. Yeah. Just, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. No, but there's a, there's a, the patient is numbered, the, the, the aluminum pod they're in is stenciled with the number on there and there's lots of record keeping. We oh, keep that good. backed up in the cloud and other places. So it's all very secure. Oh, good. The room itself is secure as well, of course. We take it very seriously, patient security, because they can't protect themselves. So right. the whole room has got like metal plates on the walls and we've got security systems. Uh, you know, with the resources we have available of to course. us, we take that very seriously. And what if, uh, what do you, so what um, elements do you need in order to keep the facility maintaining these bodies at the low temperatures? <clears throat> Yeah, so that's a common misconception. As I like to say, there are two things people know about cryonics that are wrong. <laughs> One is that Walt Disney was was frozen. He wasn't. Really? No, he wasn't. Oh. He's at Forest Lawn Cemetery. He's buried there. Uh, I think what happened was that there was a big cryonic story at the same time that he died, and they got mixed up somehow. Plus, it's kind of a natural assumption, right? This is a guy who built Tomorrow World and Future Land, and it seemed like something he would do, but no. Yeah, you think he just spent not. the 80K. <laughs> well, he could have afforded it. Yeah, it would have been less yeah. back then too. But no, unfortunately not. The other one is people say, well, you guys are so screwed when the power goes out. Like, seriously, you think we haven't thought about that in 50 years? It's like, no, uh, we don't actually need any power to maintain patients at that temperature. Um, we, we just refill once a week, and that, that's more often than we need to do, with liquid nitrogen. A truck pulls out, we put liquid nitrogen into the containers. That, weird as it sounds, that boils off at minus 320 Fahrenheit. No electricity is needed for that at all. So the only power we need is, you know, for, for our, con our comfort, the air, con the air conditioning, because it's in Arizona, um, uh, for the computers and so on. Uh, we do need power for the operating, obviously, for the surgical procedure. And for that, we have a big backup generator outside that will kick in automatically so there's no delay in the surgery. But the patients themselves will not warm up. We could actually go for several months without any liquid nitrogen delivery. Really? Because it takes, it only boils off, it boils off maybe 12 liters a day. And so it'll very slowly go down. We've done a test with an empty one, you know, empty of patients. It takes several months to get low down. So we could go for months. And there are many liquid nitrogen suppliers in the area. I think something like seven of them. Yeah, you know, I wonder if you guys ever had like supply chain issues or something no. like that, that if there was a possibility for you guys to at least have a uh, a gap in wh if, whatever you would need to keep the bodies it, it's preserved. It's extremely unlikely where we are again because we have so many. You know, we use such a small amount compared to like a chip company, which for, for their chip fab uses vast amounts of the stuff and other companies use far more. So we're kind of like a, a side effect. We just use whatever's left over. So it's unlikely. Uh, but if there was like World War Three and we thought there's going to be a major disruption for more than a couple of months, we could actually go out and buy our own liquid nitrogen plant. It would cost us, a, you know, probably a few hundred thousand. Uh, it cost us twice as much per, per unit to, to make, but we could do that. You just need power and air to make liquid nitrogen. So it's not really a problem for us. So do you feel like a businessman or do you feel <laughs> like a explorer? Is that I, a fair I, question? Yeah, I mean, I'm... Um, Currently, I'm not really a businessman. My position right now is ambassador. I'm the guy who comes out and explains what we do. But for almost 10 years, I was the president and CEO. So I kind of ran the organization. But not really a businessman. I, I'm more, I am, I'm, well, I'm a philosopher by training, philosopher and economist by training. Uh, I did a lot of work uh, with nonprofits and run other nonprofits. But I don't really think I'm a businessman as such. But I, I do realize that uh, you have to have an organization that works. Of and course, functions, yeah. obviously. 
Um, and you have to be able to communicate the ideas. It's not something you can sell as such because it's not like, call now, limited time, you know, $50 off. Yeah. That, that kind of thing is not going to work for cryonics. Um, you know, some people say, you know, there's some people who are cynics and say, oh, this is a scam. It's a get-rich-quick scheme. And I, I just, that, that makes me just kind of either laugh or despair when they say that because yeah, yeah. this is the hardest thing in the world to sell. Yeah. It's the worst thing to try and choose to get rich quick. <laughs> you know, that's why after 50 years, we only have like 1,500 people sign up for this. You have to explain complex ideas about life and death. People have to think about stuff they don't want to think about. They've got to make all these arrangements. This is the hardest thing in the world to sell people on. So um, you know, I don't think of myself as selling, but as educating. Uh, I mean, and this is great to be on your show because I get a chance to talk for like an hour or so because it takes a long time to get through the ideas for people to understand <laughs> what the hell is this strange idea is about. Yeah, and I don't and I don't feel sold to. I feel just I, that's what I feel a little bit more educated, a little bit more like, hey, what what if your imagination or your picture of what life is could expand or be different? And that's interesting to me. I can see that. Uh, flooding over into different ways that I envision everything. I wish I had more of that in my natural life, kind of that perspective, you know, because it's a lot more of a perspective of possibility yeah, uh, very much so. than it is a, poss- a perspective of um, limits. One so- thing I would say, though, is if you, if you seriously do think this would be an interesting idea, think about it sooner rather than later, because don't think, well, I'm not that old now. I can wait, you know, for another few years because – Things happen, and I, I see this happen all the time. People put it off, and then you know we get a call at the last minute. You know, Uncle Bob just died. Can can you still cryopreserve him? Well, no, we can't because the arrangements aren't in place, and it's right. almost almost impossible to do a last minute case like that. Okay, in special cases maybe we can, but we don't want to take advantage of the family financially. We want to make sure the person really wanted to do this. There's all the contracts to sign, so it doesn't work that way. You need to do this well in advance. Right, this is a choice you got to make yeah. to go yeah. beyond for the bodies to come back. Because the science isn't there yet, but as we see, there's clues that it could be getting there. Um, man, I feel really explained yeah. to it. Zach, did you have any other thoughts? I think my final question would be like for Theo, honestly, both of you, say it's 3022, you come back, it starts. What's the first thing you're doing? First thing after waking up, I'd say, when is it? And they'll tell me. And I go, yes, I made it. And I want to take a look at myself. I, I want to know, well, I want to have newspapers, but I want to know what's going on. I want to know if my wife is back, <laughs> uh, if my dog is back, you know, my other friends, and just start to figure out what's going on. I think I'd just be ecstatic, actually. Uh, it'd probably be the best time of my life that I actually made it. I beat what would be thought of as death, and I'm back, and I've got all these opportunities. And that's my, my first reaction. And after that, I don't know. It depends on what's possible, right, what's available. Man, it's a great question, man. I'd probably... Let me see. They bring me back. Show me the best movies of the last 1,000 years. (laughs) Yeah, you'd have a lot of stuff new to watch on Netflix. (laughs) I'd probably, honestly, the first thing I would do is thank them. Probably take a piss, I bet. Um... Yeah, I think the first thing I'd probably do is take a piss, I bet. <laughs> you know how good that's going to feel? <laughs> God. And then I would probably have a lunch or some whatever they have then, a new new type of lunch, or if they don't even have lunch anymore, I would see if there was anybody who was really old that still knew about lunch, and I would ask <laughs> them if they knew where I, you know, someplace that was still doing it. Is there a good place on, on whatever planet we're on to go, go <laughs> yeah. have lunch? Yeah. yeah, and then I would feel, yes, I would be like, I... 
I beat, did it. I did it. <laughs> yeah. Billions, yeah. Tens of billions didn't make it, and I did. That would be kind of a sad but good feeling. Yeah, it would be interesting. And it would give mm-hmm. you, I mean, the power you would, your own DNA would feel at every molecular level to be back. Yeah. To just have the lights back on. Mm-hmm. That's... That's fascinating. You know, one thing uh, one thing I might, might want to just touch on is, because this usually comes up, and I'm kind of surprised you haven't asked me. It's maybe because you don't share this this view. But a lot of people say, well, won't there be too many people when you come back? Aren't we overpopulated? And isn't it going to be a lot worse? And this always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because I've studied this stuff for you know, a long time. I kept track of it. And what people don't seem to realize is that's not a problem. In fact, we have maybe the opposite problem coming up. Uh, you know, Fertility globally peaked around 1968 or so. It's been falling ever since. Uh, the U.S. is a bit of an exception. We're still growing pretty slowly, though. But, uh, you know, all of Eastern Europe is shrinking. Japan is shrinking. Germany is shrinking. Uh, the rest of Western Europe is is stopping growing and is about to shrink as well. So people are kind of stuck in a 1960s mindset of population growth. Really? The fact is that uh, almost 40% of the world's populations are now stopped growing or, or starting to shrink. And that's going to get worse as over time goes on. Even Africa, you know, its fertility rates dropped massively. And when they reach a certain level of wealth and women have more opportunities, they stop having children. So even the UN, which is consistently overpredicted population, even the UN says by about 2080 or the end of the century, global population, not just Western, which will have stopped a lot sooner, global population will peak and start falling. Wow. And the scary thing is there's no bottom. You can go to zero. Um, so I don't think you know, population is a problem in that sense. In fact, we'll want people to live longer so we don't shrink the population so fast. And this is even regardless of going into space. Well, yeah, even growing up, I remember my neighbors growing up, they had like seven children. And my neighbor, the neighbors I have now have only two children. Yeah, if any. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't have any these days. It's getting a lot less out there. Um, so that's not an issue, nor, nor is resources. You know, people panicking about energy and resources. Those are all political problems. It's because of stupid policies that we're, we're not, not, not now what, energy. What, what about this? What if, say, I get frozen, right? My grandkids are like, oh, fuck, we didn't even know him. Shut it down. We don't want to do it anymore. How do I get protected? Oh, well, they don't have any choice in that. I mean, you've made the arrangements. Your agreement is with the Alcor Foundation, and that's our contractual obligation. That's what we do. We'd certainly be in big trouble if we ever did that at someone else's wish. And that's why we've had legal battles, because we've said absolutely no. We, we are doing what the patient wishes, and you're not going to stop it. So uh, somebody who doesn't want you to continue being cryobreserved has no no word and no say in the word. Legally, and this is an interesting point, actually, because it will change, I think, at some point in the future. Right now, legally, when you're cryopreserved, in the eyes of the law, you're donating yourself uh, to a scientific experiment, basically, because ah. we're you know we're, we're a nonprofit organization, scientific educational organization. You're basically donating yourself biologically as an experiment. Now that's not the way we see it, because we see you as a patient. But at some point in the future, I think we will you know when this become, ideas become more familiar, you will have some kind of legal status. You'll be someone who can't be just taken out or an arm yanked off, just like someone right now in a long term coma in a hospital. You can't just go in there and you know, take their foot off or take out their kidney. They have certain rights. So right now you you know we literally we own your ass right now yeah, it's cool. legally speaking but at some point I think you will have a legal status like someone in a coma but wow. rel- relatives can't just come and yank you out no and what 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 do people want their pets to come back if oh usually people get frozen with their pets right no no uh, yeah be usually well no we don't it's not like the uh, the Egyptians who you know when the pharaoh died they killed all the <laughs> all the servants and buried them with them we do, we don't do that with the pets no generally the pets are, are, are cryopreserved first and you, you may even have several of them by that time um, I don't think we've really had a case of when a member has died and then what happens to the pets I think they're usually adopted by someone else what about the smallest pet you got any hamps in there 
Any hamsters? Uh, probably. I think the smallest, uh, we actually have two, what do you call those things? Little furry things. Not hamsters smaller than that. Uh, oh, gerbils? No. Ferret? Ferrets. No, no. Is it a ferret? Oh, guinea pigs. It's not a guinea pig. Mate. Oh, ground something, something like a ferret. I think it's a, it's got a different name. It's a, it's a really cute, very, very soft thing. Sugar glider? It's super soft. What do they call those things? It's kind of ferretish, but it's oh, um, It's really, really not a soft. Not Bichon, huh? Uh, I'm trying no, to that's dog. I'm trying to remember what it is. I forget the name, but it's, yeah, those are really kind of, you can't do the surgery on those very well because they've got tiny blood vessels, so they may not uh, get the full treatment. Pull up a guinea pig, man. It could be a G pig, baby. I'm trying to think what that thing's called. It's uh, it's extremely soft. That's why they're so popular. Let's see one. Let's click on one. We did have a, we had a, a, a crank call once a few years ago. Somebody. It? No, it, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. Be, but these are beautiful. I'll remember later on when it's too late. <laughs> We did get a crank call one time. It was kind of funny. Someone called us up and said, uh, well, I have a pet octopus. Do you charge by the by the uh, the tentacle or what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, that's insane. Somebody would do that. Um, what about that population? Is population growth that's really going down? Yeah. Oh, it's been, the growth has been going down and down. And absolute population levels are, gonna, are actually going down in many countries. Because you always hear all this population fear. What is all that? I know. It's it's bizarre. It's very outdated. It's like people haven't learned Where do we find 60s. information that population is going down? Is it out there? Uh, our world in data is a good place again. Yeah. Uh, you can find it pretty much anyway, even Wikipedia, which is not reliable on a lot of stuff. Well, I hope <clears> population... <throat> uh, look, population can do whatever it wants. I think it's fascinating, man. It's fascinating to be like kind of like a... Um, you know, uh, like a kind of a Christopher Columbus on the on the plane of time. You know, cryonaut. I sometimes yeah, instead a of cryonaut. an astronaut, a cryonaut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christopher Cryolumbus. <laughs> I think this was really fascinating, Max. Man, I really appreciate it. I'll, I I think it's it's intriguing to think of. Uh, it makes me think of what a new um what type of like um uh nonprofits people could even get involved in it, it, sp- it expands the idea of where i even think of nonprofits being and what they're doing um i thought it was going to be a lot more expensive honestly yeah most people do they think it's only for rich people and, and it's really not the case again life insurance makes it affordable especially if you're fairly young it, it's quite easily affordable um but again despite that it's growing pretty slowly you know there's only three or four organizations in the states there's one in china there's one starting up in australia there's one starting in switzerland uh, uh, one in Russia, which is kind of a disaster, as you might expect. Yeah. <laughs> so there's really not that many worldwide, but it, it is it's gradually growing. I, I like to think when I started, when I joined, I was member number 67. Now we have 1,500. I think there were three patients. Now we have 196. So we're getting there slowly, but I think there'll be some point we'll look back on at some point in the future and this will be normal. This will be the thing that is normal to do. And people will just scratch their heads and wonder why the hell did people destroy their loved ones, you know, bury them or cremate them when they could have done this. How weird is that? So this won't seem like the weird idea. What we're doing now will seem weird in the future. Well, I, I, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. It was like when you were talking about getting to the moon, what I pictured was two guys and one of them has a ladder. And the guy, one guy's like, there's no way we can do it, you know? And then I thought about like burial was like, yeah, putting someone in the ground or cremating them. So if everything's kind of evolving, it's like... Um, eventually yeah burial would be like well you got to get saved you like why would yeah like somebody would be like oh we have my grandmother's like an nft like a real life nft you know we ever like saved you know with alcor you know or saved cryonically um uh, about it being a normal thing in the future whereas you know it, it's seen as kind of bizarre and strange now but i think it'll be perfectly normal 
It'd be the standard thing in future. It'd be yeah. so crazy to do the opposite. Yeah, it'd be crazy. Like, what are you just going to burn him? Yeah. That's in, that's crazy. I love I've him, but I'm going to burn him. I'm going to yeah. love him. I want to be eaten by worms and bacteria. Know, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like we keep everything, baby. You're the freaking dude. You're like the, I mean, you're the liaison of leftovers, man. Mm. You're talking about long term, baby. I mean, if you hate Uncle Fred, okay, bury him, bury him or burn him. But if you like the guy, why would you do that? Or bring him <laughs> back later and we'll fuck him up down the line, you know, if you want, but whatever, to have the opportunity, yeah, you know, the possibility. I like that, man. Uh, Dr. Max Moore, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Now I'm just floating on the breeze and I feel I'm falling like these leaves I must be. Cornerstone. Oh, but when I reach that ground, I'll share this peace of mind I found. I can feel it in my bones, but it's gonna take. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jonathan Kite, and welcome to Kite Club, a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long. Longer than anybody else. So great. Hi, sweetheart. Here's a deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Charmaine. Hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. Sorry, sir, but our ice cream machine is broken. I think Tom Hanks just butt-dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule, like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.